the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Yes! <laughs> Good morning, gardeners, and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. <laughs> it's not funny. Okay, it's funny. It's funny. I can get my headsets twisted to the right place. You know, we could get here an hour early or 15 <laughs> minutes early or a minute early. It is just something about the headphones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we got to get these things. I, I, first it, of all, I got to get another pair, okay? Because uh-huh. this one, when I try to put them on, they just, they just come in half. Yeah, and I think they're and only you're talking, and they're only what twenty years old. Oh, you know, they so, are. How do you keep up with stuff that long? Well, and the the tape that I've got on them is starting to wear off, oh. so that's the problem. Yeah, so I guess. <laughs> oh well, you know, we can just duct tape it now. Good duct Lord. tape it, um, zip tie it. You know, if you have all that stuff, you can build anything. Well, I'm good to go then. I'm thinking so. All right, Veda. What about? What about it? I can't even say it. It's too hot to say it. We're talking about the weather. I mean, my God. What happened? (laughs) What happened? Summer's not even here yet. I know because usually, usually in June it's it's warm, but we still feel like planting. Yeah, I mean we go through a little transition period. Yeah, right. Almost every problem that came into the garden center Mm -hmm. this week, as far as samples go, was I promise you, ninety eight percent were water related. Like they had been overwatered yep. because they were worried yep. or underwatered yep. because we didn't even think about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and we talked about watering last yes. week. I was going to say, well, we know they didn't listen well, to the show. Get your notes out. I'm telling you, because I mean, especially plants that were planted this year, whether it's mm-hmm. a bedding plant or whether it's an oak tree that you planted this year, you better be out there watching, monitoring the mm-hmm. water. And you better not just rely on the irrigation system to do it. I mean, because wow. there again, I've talked to so many people this week, like, they're, and they're bringing in samples. And I'm telling you, we're going through all the motions. Like, you know, is it a fertilizer burn? Is it a chemical burn? You know, no, every bit of it's been watering, either too much water or not enough mm-hmm. water. Now, too much water, we mean you're going out there and you're trying to do the right thing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you truly are, but you're just keeping everything too wet now is that hard to do right now it really is Uh, but depending on how well the shrub was planted are the bedding plants what kind of soil are they in i've got sun patients in front of the house that gina planted this year okay and i watered tuesday night really good well i get home not Wednesday, but mm-hmm. Thursday afternoon, and it looks like I haven't put a drop of water. Are on they them. like flat, laid over? Yes, just, they're. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, so it's and, and especially the ones that are getting more sun, western right. exposure. Yes, now, the ones yes. that are getting some relief, you know, with the tree in the house. I mean, they they look a little bit better. They still look dehydrated. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, even though they're called sun patients, yeah. they, they're just going to react differently if they're in full sun versus yep. part or a little bit more shade. Exactly. Even though, and yeah, and the crazy thing is about those uh, sun and patients in New Guinea's is they can be wilted all the mm. way over. Now they perk right back up. And yes. I always add fertilizer to my water when I um, try to perk them back up, any kind of thing that goes like a little. Sea, liquid seaweed or something. Yes, because um, wet are mostly dry over wet you'll start getting insects Mm -hmm. because the plant's stressed and so i always add some fertilizer to the water to try to recover it from some of that stress it just suffered being wilted 
Well, I mean, I've gotten to a point where I know I need to heavily water, deeply water, you know, my trees and shrubs, mm-hmm. you know, and just really soak them in well. And I like to let them air out before I come back and water again. Now, it doesn't take as long to air out yeah, in, this in these temperatures <laughs> as, it, as it normally does. So, I mean, I get and I can see why people are overwatering. But when it comes to these little bedding plants and these container plants, man, you you almost have to water every day. Hanging baskets. Um, I mean, guys, I'm telling you, it, it is so hot and so dry. It's it's I can't remember. And of course, we've mm-hmm. gone through this before, but and I can't July. remember. <laughs> I can't just you know. I mean, look at the forecast. I mean, the five days out of the seven days is a hundred mm-hmm. degrees, and that's just the regular normal temperature. Man, and, you know, in the you know the uh, you add the humidity to that, Veda, and, it, mm-hmm. and it's even hotter than that. Now, it feels hot to us, but it's, feel, it's hot to the plants also. <laughs> oh, no. Here we go. So do you think maybe we're going to be lucky where it is uh, really warm and then it'll drop some? No. For July. <laughs> well, we hope so. But we're not. It's not happening next and week. And then as okay, far as the so. lawns go, you know, I'll, I'll put a, a sprinkler in my front yard uh, the other afternoon, that Tuesday afternoon I was telling you about. And uh, really soaked my front yard. Uh, I've got a, you know, that tree that I have in my front yard. Mm-hmm. And, I've you know, years ago, I went back and I added some more soil to that root zone. Not a lot, but I added more soil and then I put more sod down. So now the roots are still coming back up to the surface. And I could see where three or four of these big roots are coming to the surface because my Bermuda is really turning brown uh, on that root line, mm-hmm. if you will. There again, because it's so dry and so mm-hmm. hot. So I'm going to keep my front yard water. My backyard, if it goes dormant this summer, so be it. Oh, yeah. You know, okay. and it's done it before. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I know it's not going to kill my lawn, but I'm, I'm really more concerned about my, my bedding plants, yeah. my container plants, uh, my trees and shrubs that I have in the mm-hmm. landscape. So you're going to maybe cut back a little or just not water as often on your lawn because it's a bermuda right it's bermuda and i want and i will do the front yard i'll keep it you know hydrated Mm -hmm. but the backyard and it's pretty and green at the moment but i know if i don't water it from time to time Mm -hmm. and we don't get any rain it looks like there's absolutely no rain in the forecast it's still going to be okay. Right. So I did the same thing. I, my front yard was always manicured, and then the front was really, really clean and just nice and green. And then the backyard, I had more native, different kind of landscape, lots of stuff, vegetable a lot of weeds. garden, a lot of weeds. But I did the same thing. I didn't keep that that part of the lawn prepped so much because it's a lot of work and sometimes a lot of fertilizer. You know, a lot of people think also if you water during the day, mm-hmm. you know, if it's hot and dry, like it is and you go out there and water dur- during the day they think they water you know we've always heard the myth that the mm-hmm. water droplets yeah turn into a magnifying glass uh-huh. and it burns the foliage <laughs> right right well that's absolutely not true <laughs> that is a complete myth and a lot of people don't mm-hmm. know that they think that that those water droplets you know they're mm-hmm. again collect that sun uh-huh. if you're watering out there at noon yeah and it just burns the uh the foliage of the plant or the blade uh-huh. of the grass it is it, that it's, doesn't happen i think it's more about the mm-hmm. amount of evaporation that happens it's, but at the same time you uh it doesn't matter when your things need water yeah i know? tell people every day i mean i prefer people to water in the mornings of mm-hmm. course especially when it comes to their lawn on a regular basis but I don't care if they go out there and water at noon. If you, mm-hmm. I'd rather see them water at noon than not water at yeah. all. Right. Now, if you do it early in the morning, you get a good, better penetration, you get a good soaking, mm-hmm. 
before the excessive moisture just dries up. Right. Well, if you go out there vein at 12 or 1 o'clock in the day, which I've done many times, you know, it dries up so fast that you actually have to put more water down to get the watering done. Yeah. But but don't think that you can't do it. And then when people say, well, I don't get home, you know, till I don't get uh, home from after work until, you know, 6 o'clock or whatever. And I've always heard you can't water then because you can't mm-hmm. water at night. Oh, yes, you can. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's the best time to do it. And it all, a lot of times it depends on your uh, type of plant you have, too, because the lawn's going to be fine watering at night. I know people are wor- worried about fungal problems, but it's not going to happen when it's this hot because that's one of the things that has to be in the equation to create fungal problems is coolness mm-hmm. and moisture, but we're hot and dry, so yeah, we're not so, going to have the fungal so problems. So you're right. So if you have to water when you get home or at night, I mean, by all means, do it. Now, we're not saying that's the best time. The absolute best time to do it is mm-hmm. early in the morning, really before 9 o'clock. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, um, you know what? When we're going on a break here, you need to get up, run out, and turn your hose on real quick, and then come back and jump in bed. And listen to the rest. That's a whole lot to do this <laughs> early in the morning. It, isn't it? So um, if you want to give us a call, 260-5926, you can leave a message with Josh if you don't want to be on air or check us out on Facebook Live. Yeah, the Mighty 990 Facebook page. Go in there. You can see Miss Veda. You can shoot us a text that way. And if you want to listen to it live or listen to the podcast later on, Veda, kwamradio.com. Having said all that, guys, I'm going to go get some water. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid South Gardening. You want to give us a call? Look at her. She's over there dancing again, guys. Stop and listen to that. 260 5926. 260 5926. Invader coming up in about a month. Uh huh. The good old great tomato contest. The yummy tomato. Guess what needs to be called? The yummy tomato contest. Well, yeah, we hope anyway. Ooh, and I, was, yeah. I was driving in this morning thinking that, and, and this is the way I personally feel about it you can have a garden. Mm-hmm. And the okra doesn't make it, and the squash doesn't make it, and the peppers don't make it, and the beans don't make mm-hmm. it. But if the tomatoes make it... Then it's all good? It's all good. I'm telling you. Mm. Or just the flip side of that, you can have all the other things do great, and if your tomatoes don't really perform... Then you're not a gardener. No! <laughs> it's all, it all comes down to the tomatoes, I'm oh, telling you. I saw on... Maybe it was a video, maybe I was reading... And it was a picture of a really nice, beautiful red tomato. But then it looked like from the inside, something was trying to come out of the skin all around it. It's like these little dimples, almost like a horror movie, but it was really a pretty tomato. But what it was trying to do was grow from the inside and poke throughout the the tomato skin but it well, was trying to grow well uh, the, the seeds in there had actually germinated yeah in the and tomato. it was some kind of uh some kind of name i know though. it was creepy and it actually had a name to it it started with a v but i don't remember what happened that i didn't get to finish watching it but i thought well now now we need it that would be do they have the ugly tomato or the most unique tomato because that definitely would have went into that category. Yeah, on the uh, on the Great Tomato Contest, mm-hmm. which is, by the way, July the 16th. That's coming up, mm-hmm. in, like I said, in a little, little less than a month from now at the uh, AgriCenter International at the Big Red Barn. Uh, get your tomatoes together, guys, and no cheating. You know, I mean, you can't, you know, get the needle and, and squirt sugar in there or mm-hmm. molasses or, yeah. you know, vinegar to make them more acidic. None mm-hmm. of them, because we got judges. We're oh, going to yeah. check that out. You can try that. Now, if you're growing your tomatoes. I'm not saying I tried any of that, okay? 
Oh, don't. No, I'm you, not. Did you just give hints? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I almost missed those hints. <laughs> but let me say this, the uh, the schedule uh, on the on the 16th, the drop-off is uh, from anywhere from 9 to 11, and the judging will start at about 12 o'clock, and that runs till about 3 o'clock. And then, of course, uh, all the winners would be uh, contacted. But there's, um, they've got all the categories, the best overall tomato, you know, mm-hmm. the honorable mention. You know, and last year, like you said, there was the ugly tomato. And what did you call it? The, the unique. The unique yeah. tomato. I think Jamie said that um, they were going to go with, last year was unique. The year before last was like ugly tomato. But we're like, there's no ugly fruit. Well. <laughs> That's why we went with unique. But they'll have their a uh, master gardener information table, which is great. They'll have activities for the kids. Uh, they'll have the tomato displays. And then I remember this last year, and I know you did when you were a judge here before last night, they had uh, recipes over there also. So it is a it is really a great, fun time uh, to get out there. Uh, enter your tomato in the contest. Uh, like I said, just write this date down, July the 16th. Uh, at the Red Barn mm-hmm. at the Agri Center. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm well, you know, you. you were saying put, uh, you know, don't be adding sugar or molasses to the tomato or to change the acidity or make it sweeter. But you can on the soil right now. It's actually a thing where people have put sorghum or molasses or sugar um, around the plants because the sugar activates the microorganisms, which activates how they break down the nutrients quicker. And then when you're giving sugar to it as well, then it's going to raise the bricks level of the tomato, which Hmm. raises the sugar level, and that will make it sweeter. So you've got time to do that. Uh, liquid fertilizers, um, the natural ones will be the best if you're trying to get some good taste or some good color. You know, add a lot of that to your soil right now. Well, and I think the key to any vegetable, and we talk about this all the time, is just the soil prep. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, making yeah. sure that, you know, you got good drainage, good high organic matter in there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, the pH is really important, you know, yeah. especially when it comes to vegetable gardening, especially when it comes to tomatoes. And, you know, if if you're getting more than six hours of sun and if you have the opportunity, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be a, a bad thing to put an umbrella over to shade it a little bit, give it a little relief. I mean, we're having this early and we're getting close to the tomato contest. So you might have to do a little bit of off the wall planning. Now, if I drive by someone's <laughs> house and I see umbrellas out there in that garden, yeah. I'm going to stop and go up there and knock on the door. Say, are you doing, are you going, shading what, yours? what are you doing? And they've got uh, the entries will be the heaviest tomato. You know, remember that big thing that we mm-hmm. saw last year, the cherry tomatoes, the slicing tomatoes and the heirloom tomatoes. And uh, Jan uh, Childer, she she texted in. She said they'll also have a sticker detector. Oh, yes. Did <laughs> you go to the store and try to buy the tomato and sneak it in there? Nah, a not going to work. A sticker detector is very ingenious. So that's going to be a lot of fun, guys. Uh, July the 16th. And, and, and like I said, it, it, it is really a neat time. And I tell you what, you're talking about bragging rights for the year. I mean, if you get the mm-hmm. best overall tomato, oh, my God. I mean, to me, it. I'd almost have to have a parade. Yeah, wouldn't you? Yeah, she'll be the king of the neighborhood. Yeah, she you had think? the best tomato. Yeah, and I'm sure vegetable gardens and all are going to look maybe look a little stressed because we're forgetting to get enough moisture on it. You know, you can mulch too, really. You know, you don't mulch right up to the plant, but you could add some light layer of mulch. Some people use hay. Um, I've heard of pine needles, but I don't know if that really uh, mulches enough 
And I know it won't I change. It'll the, hold that moisture in, though. Okay, that's yeah. good. So pine, pine needles would be easier, it seems, because you would still get some air aeration on top of the soil. And again, you can you can layer each plant with uh, some compost around the soil. That'll help the soil moisture stay. Absolutely, in it will. Yeah, and fertilize. Do yeah. your um, fit the fiddly fig is what i was going to call it but it's the fox farm fertilizer yeah use that as well the big bloom no, like that you know, the grow big or the grow big uh, yeah i mean they're all those. good products they really are so i mean they're water soluble i mean the, the the fox farm big bloom tiger bloom grow big um great products but it's like the big bloom like you said that's mm-hmm. the organic product veda it's got the earthworm castings the seaweed the back guano and all that stuff mixed in there I mean, so, you know, people have their their own tricks of the trade, their secrets that they'll never give out yeah. when it comes to growing tomatoes. Yeah. But uh, you're right. If you just follow the guidelines, you know, more sun than shade, well-drained soil, actually soil that's got some good compost in it, and feeding from time to time with these good uh, plant foods. But also, we mentioned the pH. You know, a lot of times we'll see tomatoes where they start getting that blackened bottom on the bottom of the tomato. And you and I both know that's that blossom end rot, Okay. Well, blossom end rot can be from really two things. It can be from erratic watering, you up know. Up and down, up too and down, wet, too wet, too dry, dry. too okay. wet, too dry. You want to try to keep mm-hmm. a constant moisture and a lack of calcium, which is your, your lime. Which so, doesn't that up and down of the watering kind of affect the calcium? Yes. And then, yes. But if you start seeing blossom end rot on the bottom of your tomato, and that would not be a good one to enter into the tomato contest, by the way. <laughs> is um, There's actually two products. There's a product called Yield Booster, which is a liquid cal- uh, what calcium chloride mm-hmm. that you mix with water and spray or pour. There's also a product that I like to use called calcium nitrate, which comes in a, like a four-pound bag. It's a granulated product, Veda. And you sprinkle that around the tomato, come back in two weeks and do it again. So it feeds the tomato, and it also helps prevent that blossom end rot. And you can also get this on squash and peppers. So calcium nitrate uh, or the calcium chloride, either one of those products are absolutely fine to use. If you happen to see that blossom end rot starting on any of those uh, vegetables, but like I said, getting back to the point, Make sure that you're keeping that pH up in your garden to start with. Mm-hmm. And typically, I like to put a little lime down in the garden every year just to keep the pH up where it needs to be. Right. And putting it down every year is good because if you go put the lime down now, the granulated lime, you're not going to have any reactions quick enough. But unless you, you can use the powdered well, lime. Well, unless you have. get the, the quick lime, yeah, the, the fast lime. lime. Uh, you know, because regular everyday pelletized lime, Veda, it takes months to really break down and alter the pH. You just can't get around that. Well, the granulated fast lime or quick lime, instead of taking months to break down, it only takes weeks to break yeah, down. So that's the one you need. If you yes. want to really quickly alter mm-hmm. that pH. Yes, yeah, I, li- I like that much better, the quick acting lime, because we always think about the lime when it needs mm-hmm. to be acting. And um, it's, uh, I just read the text, Kenneth, um, Jan said, thank you for mentioning the tomato contest well and we'll try to mention this to every week until it comes up here for the next three weeks but also at some point uh jamie and someone else probably from the memphis area master garner program will come up and really talk more insight about it uh you know better than you know just the casual talking that you and i do about the tomato contest beta did you just hang on a minute i'm texting i can't think (laughs) no (laughs) jan you're getting me in trouble okay so then we oh you know going back to 
the watering, the hanging baskets. Mm. You know, you'll buy a hanging basket at, say, a garden center or, or wherever, and it's in its original plastic basket, which is fine, but you have to water so much more. So if you could actually maybe get one of the uh, hanging baskets, has a coconut liner in it, to get more soil around it, your plant's going to last longer and your watering's not going to be as hard and rehydrating the plant's not going to be as hard. Because if you're having it in those hanging baskets that you just purchased them in, especially about now, you need to really water those hanging baskets like three times a day, especially if they're in the sun. Now and you're that, saying if you go out, you know, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, and that's not going out with a cup of water and just dumping it in yeah. the top of the basket. That's not going to do it. Yeah, you so say if you go out and buy a hanging basket, just the old plastic pot mm-hmm. hanging basket, um, and the roots are just massed in this basket. Yeah. Uh, you're trying to water this thing. The water's going right across the top, yeah. down on the side, and out the bottom. You know, it's hard mm-hmm. to penetrate. In fact, my wife has got a, um, I think it's a diplodenia, which is mm-hmm. a tropical plant in a hanging basket. Uh, and it's just totally root bound. Yeah. Beta. And at the very least, I think I need to get like a screwdriver or something and just poke some holes mm-hmm. down into that, that soil, that mass of roots. Yes. Uh, to where let that water pass through that root mm-hmm. system. This This is just in a hanging basket now. Uh, and I'm like you. I wish it was in a uh, one of the cocoa fiber baskets that might hold a little bit more mm-hmm. moisture. I know it drains well. I agree. It's right, easier yeah. to keep things alive in those type of hanging baskets than just a plastic right. pot. And it is hard to transplant, so poking those holes in there are very helpful, too. We've got more advice for you when we get back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. I like our choices of music. So I was looking at the Mid-South Gardening page. Jim Crowder takes care of that, the administrator, and the Foliage Friday pictures were of a lot of caladiums. Mm. And uh, yeah, caladiums for Foliage Love Friday. Love that plant. Coleus as well. Yes, um... The caladiums are just amazing. I can never get enough of those. And, you know, they even actually grow good indoors like a house plant by a bright window. I uh, tried that out when I first started gardening, really not knowing that much either, really, when I first started growing uh, and gardening. But I used them inside and they did beautifully. And then we were looking at one of the pictures where they had planted the uh, Euphorbia Diamond Frost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is one called yeah. Diamond Frost. Diamond yeah. Frost Euphorbia. There's a little bitty like, white blooms on yeah, it. Yeah, looks like the baby's breath yeah. in a way. That was planted with the caladiums also, and that looked so beautiful. But that was on the Facebook page. I'm telling you what, you look at this page and you find beautiful flowers and insect and disease problems and all that. And then the other thing now is daylilies yeah just bam and you know there used to be just a few kinds of colors the old the old road ditch daylily yeah the uh the yellows and the oranges and now there's so many that have all the different variations of colors inside in the inside the bloom and i saw someone was asking how to get their daylilies to bloom more and it's 
really buying the new varieties of the rebloomers actually is how you get them to bloom more. Yeah. It, or the rebloomer is yeah. the is the key. And you know when the rebloomers first came out as well, I was skeptical that <laughs> you know like skeptical. the Stella Diora yeah. and and the Happy Returns. In fact, mm-hmm. most time that you they're coming on the market now are repeat yeah. bloomers. They they're going to bloom more than one time. And, and the colors, I still can't get over the colors. And, and I can't only, take enough pictures. They, they did not only the colors. Some of these new daylily blooms are as big as saucers. I mean, they're yeah. huge blooms on them. That's true. Um, so, um, but but, but talking about indestructible, an indestructible uh-huh. perennial. That's one. Daylilies. That, and it's also a great a ground cover that no one thinks about using as a ground cover because even though it dies back in the winter it still has such great roots that holds holds the ground down and this one person on the uh facebook page margaret actually put the name of all these wonderful daylilies <laughs> the pictures and the names and i'm liking berry berry candy mm-hmm. romeo prince carolina sugar shaker i Oh, my complicated blues. Like, I love the names. That's, oh, this is crazy. Y'all have to, y'all have to look on the Facebook page. I've never seen a daylily patch like this before in my life. Look at that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So daylilies, y'all need to go out and get some of those because they're just not your ditch lilies anymore. Well, there are pests out there that like to chew on daylilies and other things. And we talked about this last week, but I've got Well, what got am to, I going to do then? You're going to spray with spinosad, okay. but I've got to talk about this again because it's, it's going to be a problem for at least another month is the Japanese beetles out there. Um, yeah, it's just <laughs> No it, words is what it no, is. No, it's just one of those things where, you know, I read an article, and I think I told you this, Veda, where... Japanese beetles, they're not going away. In fact, the populations are going to do nothing but but become greater. Uh, larger numbers uh, every year. Uh, they're here. You know, and we said, remember, they started out in eastern Tennessee, and forever and a day, we never had Japanese beetles. We would see one or two every year, and that's about mm-hmm. it. Or hear about a Japanese beetle. Yeah. And then they finally made it to Nashville, Okay. They moved their way west. And then, you know, of course, Nashville, they were horrified about what this Japanese beetle, how much damage he could do. And then, sure enough, remember three or four or five years ago, we started seeing a few more Japanese beetles collecting on our roses. Gosh, I mean, was it three or four or five, yeah. five years ago? Yeah, and, yeah I mean, because we We went all the way up. Yes, yes. So, and now there is just, you know, they're out there. so many that are out there. And, and like I said, and we've got the populations here now, and they're, and they're not going to go anywhere. And they'll eat basically anything in your landscape. Now, they love roses. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, you know, but they don't think they'll eat nothing but roses. Well, who doesn't love roses? Oh, including, <laughs> including Japanese yeah. beetles. But we've had a lot of people come in this week buying the traps. And, you know, that's the reason I brought this up is because this lady, um, she wanted to go home. And we've said this before, Veda. She wanted to go home and put the trap. In fact, this what she got two traps. And she wanted to put them in her rose bed. And I said, well, that's kind of like a double-edged sword. You know, yeah, you can put a Japanese beetle trap anywhere you want on your property, right? And you will collect a lot of Japanese beetles. But I like to steal, I like the idea of of putting them away Mm -hmm. in the back corner of your property. Because you're trying to pull the Japanese beetles away from your roses. Put them, get them over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe they'll stop there before they even discover there's a rose. Less less hope. Kind of like with the Milorganite for deer. Yeah, exactly. So the Japanese beetle traps, I mean, they absolutely work, I'm telling you. 
And there's an argument either way. Some people say, well, if you put a trap up, you're bringing in more Japanese beetles. Well, you're going to have Japanese beetles anyway. Mm-hmm. That's the way I look at yeah. it. You're going to have them. I, I so, know, right? So, so I mean, I want to try to pull the ones mm-hmm. I have over there yeah. to that trap and catch them in there. Now, you can still go out there and, of course, spray for Japanese beetles. And a lot of the insecticides, the permethrins and anything in that permethrin family, um, the spinosids, beta, very safe products. I mean, they'll kill the Japanese beetles. But like I tell people, you can go out there today and kill every Japanese beetle you have on your property. Every one of them. Okay, but you can have 10,000 more fly in tomorrow. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, you know, they're going to do the damage and all, but they're not going to totally kill the plant. It's just unsightly. Keep the populations down to acceptable mm-hmm. levels. That's you what know, we're trying to do. What if, uh, okay, let me think. I'm trying to think of when you see them mostly on the roses. Well, Because it, I've thought about, you're going to have to prune the roses back anyway because they're looking yuck. But if you go out there in the early morning, mm-hmm. early, early morning, I mean, it, it, you know, it's almost like they're clumsy in, in, right. and half asleep. So could you just, you, you can prune. pick them off you or could, you can pick them off yeah. and, and just throw them down in some soapy water right. and drown them. But, I, you know, a lot, some people have time to do that. Some people mm-hmm. don't. I still like the combination of, of trying to trap them and spray them because I just don't have time to go out there and pluck Japanese maples, which <laughs> you can do. And even on crepe myrtle blooms, uh, I've seen them just gobbling up crepe myrtle blooms. Um, you know, so it's, you know, some things, you know, they get on, it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. Other things, you know, they get on, you know, I really don't want them out there just eating the whole landscape up. And it's not just one Japanese beetle. That's the problem. There are hundreds and thousands out there in your landscape. And it's crazy that you really don't see them until you get into the plant. And you're thinking, you know, how is one or two beetles doing all this? But there are really a lot. So spray with the spinosin. And also, if you've got the arborvitas in your yard, too, then you can go ahead and hit those with spinosin as well. Yeah, because I wrote down right beside this, and we talked about this last week in the bagworms. And, God, it, it is, it's just one of those years, guys, that, you know, that little worm that gets on the arborvitas and these other evergreens and other things, but especially the arborvitas. And they're eating the arborvitas up. We've had just as many complaints and people coming in with samples and pictures about bagworms as we have uh, Japanese beetles. Have the, have uh, they started, are we far enough into where they're defoliating now or, or where it's turning brown oh, already? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're, I'm talking about eating the arborvitas up. And the same thing with the bagworms, Veda. It's mm-hmm. not just one or two. You've got thousands on there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, they're, and they start out as a little worm with a little bag, and then they get yeah. big worms and big bags on them. <laughs> Um, they so, just keep growing and growing, but don't this, they? But they're active right now. They can do that on uh, Leland Cypress. You know, have you ever seen any on Cryptomeria, though? I have, and I've seen them on Japanese maples and, th- mm-hmm. and even azaleas, things that you would never think you would yeah. see a, a bagworm on. But typically, you know, we associate bagworms with arborvitas. I mean, that's just yeah. where they love to go. And they typically like to start at the top and work their way down. That's not always the case, but that's where they like to start. So if you see the top of your arborvitaeus turning brown up there, and you think, well, okay, that's the sun's doing that, yeah. or lack of water, you better look at it really close because there's probably bagworms up there doing Which that. Which could be worse than the sun damage, that's for sure. But you made a point, they do the same insecticides, the permethrins, uh, the spinosids, those type products, that the same products that we use to kill and spray to kill Japanese beetles typically will also kill bagworms. Now, if you go out there and spray BT, 
Mm-hmm. BT is going to kill the bagworms, but it only kills caterpillars. It wouldn't kill the Japanese beetles. Right, yes. So, true. you know, I like to use a product that um, that's going to actually control both of those insects. So keep that in mind. And then the other Go ahead. insect of the week is the old cottony leafhopper. You know, a lot of people, if you go out there and see this cottony, stringy, mm-hmm. white stuff on the stems of your plants, okay? Yeah. Uh, And people think it's a fungal problem. It's actually an insect that leaves that residue, and it's called a cottony leafhopper. That's the one that you you look at it, and it runs to the other side of the stem. Yeah, kind of like a squirrel on an oak tree. Right, and you you turn the other way, and it runs around the other side. Yeah, and then if you try to touch it, it it pops off the the plant. It's kind of fun to play with. (laughs) Okay, until you smush it. Yeah, Uh, I won't do that. But cottony leafhoppers, and, and the problem with a lot of these insects, guys, is... Not only do they chew your landscape away, <laughs> uh, but something as small as a little cottony leafhopper, they also transmit a lot of diseases. Uh, so there again, I mean, be vigilant. Go out there and make your rounds. Check your plants. Look for these insects. If you see one or two, you're fine. Right. You know? Yeah, just keep an eye on yeah, it. But if you, if you have a problem, start having a problem, and you're seeing a, you know, an explosion of these insects, then you have to get out there and spray. But I also tell people every day this this past week, if you're spraying this time of year in this kind of heat, there's two things you need to think about. One is you make sure you spray early morning or late in the afternoon. Okay? Right. Don't spray during yes. the heat of the day. And secondly, do not spray anything that is dehydrated. Yeah. So, so like if you have a, a dry landscape... Just don't go out and spray it. No, but, yeah. you'll burn everything right. up. Because the plant's already having an issue. It's like you uh, being di- dehydrated and then it's getting more sun on you. It's just not going to work. So, yes, hydrate your lawn or your plants and then spray early morning, late afternoon. Absolutely. We're man. not doing it in the middle of the day nope. because it's gonna, it could possibly burn the leaves. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, y'all, we're going to run to a break really quickly and give us a call, 260-5926, or post questions on Facebook Live. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to be with you this morning. I'm Beta with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers on this wonderful hot Hot. Saturday, but hey, um, happy Father's Day to everybody, well, all the fathers you. out there. You're welcome, Miss <laughs> Baby. Uh, happy Father's Day to you. Hey, uh, <laughs> but today's a cool front. Well, uh, Just a smidge. A smidge no, cool it's front. Not. It's not going to be actually <laughs> as hot. I mean, uh, it's still hot. It's still hot, but possibly I could spend a little extra time outside. See, I love your attitude, but once you get above 97 degrees, it doesn't matter. You know, the thing about us gardeners and outside people, we'll definitely endure more than most people that that, um, stay inside most Mm. of the time because we're more acclimated. And I like the feeling of outside. You know, I, I don't like that. I'm so thankful for the air conditioning, but I like that outside feeling. Oh, you and I both, but I also like the idea of looking outside this time of year. <laughs> that's your beautiful landscape that you worked on, or the one that's just wilting right now. Oh, man. And, and we talked about this in the first 15 minutes. Just be vigilant. Make your rounds, guys, when it comes to the water. You know, we said, you know, don't ever just rely on irrigation. Irrigation is wonderful. It's a great thing to have. But you still have to make your rounds. You do. You know, we see so many problems under irrigation oh, beta. Oh, I know. But you know what I'm curious of? 
is your backwards weed eater. Did you use it this week? You know, I, in fact, some people had, had texted in and mm-hmm. fa- on uh, the Facebook page. Yeah. Uh, and then one of the girls at work came to me and said, uh, somebody te- texted in and said, if I just flip my head, uh-huh. take it off and, and flip it back the other way, it would go in the other direction. It's not going to work. I mean, I'm going to uh, try okay. today. I was thinking, well, <laughs> does that maybe? But it wouldn't... The, they wouldn't if connect. If it's spinning this way yeah. and I flip my head, it's still going to be spinning that yeah. way. I mean, that's definitely a good <clears throat> thought. So, you know, that, we were talking yeah. about, if you didn't get it, you know, last weekend we were talking about how I purchased a a newer weed eater. My other mm-hmm. one just blew up. And the first time I used this weed eater, this new one, I'm thinking, something's not right. You know, what is the deal? And I and I thought you know it was just me getting used to a new weed eater. Yeah. Well, it finally dawned on me after you know I embedded fifty rocks in my leg, my shin, mm-hmm. that the head was turning a different way. Instead of turning clockwise, this thing is turning counterclockwise. Let's just make gardening <laughs> harder. Well, so then I get online and start reading about it, and there's a bunch of people that are upset <laughs> that are upset that their weed eater that used to turn clockwise is now turning counterclockwise. But they, if you read about it, there's pros and cons. A lot of people say, no, that's the way it should be turning. But I'm like, okay, maybe. I had no idea there was so much over But I'm just so used to the one that I had before that turned the other way. So to me, if it's turning clockwise, it's Mm -hmm. knocking, it's it's pushing everything away from me. Yeah. Okay? Well, counterclockwise is spinning backwards, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's pushing everything back towards me. So... I need it. We need to hear people's experiences with this. But this it was funny. This girl said, "Just take the head off and flip it upside. Mm-hmm. Flip it over, and it and it should reverse." I know. It. Was that a thought out thought, or was it just a quick? I don't when know. You, when I'm you, gonna try it. I know because when you were saying, uh, we were talking about this. All of a sudden, it popped in my head. Well, can we flip it over? But I don't see how you could. But anyway, we'll need to find that out. But tools in the garden, and you know, weed eater is definitely one of the tools that you want to work accurately to make it easier. But, you know, the tool tools, two tools that Sprink- I like. Sprinklers. Yeah, sprinklers. That's one I really like. Hose nozzles. Oh, how about you're testing your sprinkler and forget to turn the head and you turn it on and it just wipes you out. Yes. But the tools, the tools. I like the trake. It's a rake and a trowel it is. in one. Long handle. I mean, when I say yeah. this thing is usually about 24 yeah. inches long, it's got yeah. a rake on one end and uh-huh. a trowel on the other. And it's, and it's uh, called the trake. the trake. It's very durable, very durable. I mean, I've had guys wedge stuff, lift stuff with it. Um, and it also has a uh, lifetime warranty it's as a well. Great, it's a great hand tool, it I'm telling really you. It really is. And because of the strength of it, it doesn't bend, and you can flip it around. And then the other one I like is the Hori Hori knife. There, there, You'll see the... Uh, they call it the gardening knife, I think, that you can see like in hardware stores or, or box stores. And it works really good, too. But if you're really wanting something sharp and, and seems to be made just right for gardening, mm-hmm. it's the it's H-O-R-I, H-O-R-I. Which is it, like you said, it's like a heavy duty, thick bladed ridged blade mm-hmm. steak knife okay yeah. but it's far digging in the dark uh-huh. it's and, nice you, it, you look like you're a real gardener when you have that hanging on your belt well, but if you want to start digging up things that's got roots on it mm-hmm. and you want to i mean entrench with it i mean it, yeah. it's it's a great tool kind of like the trach you were talking about veda mm-hmm. and you know we always say try to work smarter not harder right and it took me a long time to figure that out i mean i yeah. can i can dig up a tree with a you know a spoon if i had to <laughs> 
It's going to take me a long time. I'm not going to enjoy it. And, but if I get the right material, the right mm-hmm. tools, it's just easier. Right. Yeah, and that's <laughs> exactly right. That's how it is with this knife. And, like, we'll have container gardens, like a big container, and we'll have uh, perennials planted in it. The annuals die out, but you still have your perennials doing great. So you're going to want to put some spring annuals and some summer and some fall annuals in it but leave your perennials so that knife really cuts through the root balls where you can lift the dead plants out and chop the soil up a little bit in that hole and then um, add some amendment and stick your plants back in there but you can never i mean i've used a trowel I've used the regular garden knife, and the Hori Hori knife works perfect. So it's worth the investment, especially if you're doing a lot of containers. Well, you got to have certain tools. I mean, you got to have a lawnmower. You got to have a weed eater. I'm yeah. not saying you have. You got to have a weed, you know, a, a hedge trimmer, if you will, whether it's manual or, or whatever. Uh, but it just makes our lives easier, no doubt about it. And then I mentioned sprinkler. You better have some sprinklers this time of year. Do you, so you you don't have irrigation. You're kind of maybe, maybe not. But do you I don't have notice, irrigation. Have you ever noticed, do you like the uh, circular ones better or the fan ones? Well, I, I think for large areas, you know, just the old-fashioned oscillating mm-hmm. sprinkler that goes back and forth. Yeah. You, you can cover a large area with an oscillating uh, a sprinkler. But if you've got irregular shaped yards, like I do, my front yard is pie shaped, my backyard is uh, rectangle. I like the impulse, mm-hmm. you know, the t- 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 you yeah. know that one. Uh, if surely you can understand that, right? <laughs> and because you can adjust to, to me, you can adjust mm-hmm. that more than you can just the the fan shaped yeah. oscillating sprinkler. Um, yeah, so, so it's basically there's not one kind. It uh, you had uh, has to fit your section exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I can make either one of them work better, mm-hmm. but I like the uh, the uh, impulse head, but because I know I can adjust it in, in finer corners and so forth. But you know, make sure they're working because I promise you, if you don't have irrigation, you're going to need it. Uh, and it's just whether you're watering your beds or whether you're watering your lawn. And it's just, you, you got to have it, well, I'm telling I'm, you. I'm thinking if your perennial bed or annual bed seems like it's a little extra dry, well, you know, your soil just seems to stay dry. Go ahead and add a layer of compost to your whole bed. Again, don't push it up <clears> against the stems, but anything that can start adding nutrients What do you like, that cottonbird compost? Yeah, I would do that cottonbird compost, or there's uh, something about... Earth Mix called uh, Landscape Special, I believe. Yeah. That one as well, too. Okay, we're going to see you in the second hour, so get your gardening questions together, and we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you could join us this morning. I'm Beta with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Centers. And good morning to you, Ms. Good Beta. Good morning. You uh, know, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Yes, happy Father's Day. You have two wonderful adult children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, you know, my daughter came in far from Nashville for Father's Day. My son's here. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a good weekend. Yeah, that sounds so fun because and, then she's going to go to Hawaii. Yeah, she's heading out next week. But uh, one good thing is I think Tim Van Horn's going to call in about the 8 o'clock hour and talk mm-hmm. about uh, some of the great things going on for Around Father's town. Day weekend. Maybe the Blue Angels out there at Millington, you know, the air show. There is an air show this weekend, by the way. Yeah, that but would, ooh-wee. That's going to be, be a hot. lot of fun. It's going to be <clears throat> hot for that, too. 
Uh, you know, one good thing to do this time of year is water gardening or doing fountains. Just hearing water nice. maybe mentally makes you feel cooler. It does. You know, like <clears throat> in the courtyard, the back courtyard of the garden center, we have a pond back there. And the uh, nice little waterfall. So when you're in the back, it does feel just, it, you, I think it takes your mind off the heat. And then in the center, we have these rocks that bubble up water and all our water garden plants around mm. and it's nice to have the water garden to play with in the summertime anyway and all the birds flying around <laughs> dipping in the pool dipping in the bird baths uh, eating the bird seed you know getting the insects and all it's been it's really enjoyable to have and then you go down out to the front where it's full baking sun oh, oh yeah but we have little sections where you can you know sit in the shade by the nice plants because you know i want sun as well as shade but um installing or getting fountains like we had a fountain <clears throat> had a fountain that is 15 feet tall oh yeah 15 feet I think so we had to they had to rent a big piece of equipment a crane (laughs) a crane almost this one wasn't a crane though and the the piece that we rented was a little bit bigger than we needed but the fountain installation was like a couple blocks away yeah so we rented the equipment but there was nowhere to put it in front of the house for overnight (laughs) because it'd be in the street so they drove this big piece of equipment down Central Avenue. Oh, I love to see so that. So if y'all saw that, <laughs> that's what was happening. And because we had to, I mean, the bowl is like a thousand pounds. Oh and yeah, I, you're not going to get a two wheeler and move this. Right, thing. exactly. So with having the, because the forks had to go really far out because they couldn't carry it across the dirt and then lift it up. Yeah. And then lift it up again, you but, know. But a 15, just think about a 15-foot fountain. How much water could you? Right. I mean, it had to you sound could, like a nice little mini waterfall. That's the thing. You know? It does. And one thing that we recommended, especially for something like that so large, and when the wind blows, mm. it can just empty it immediately. But a lot of people get these refill <clears> floats <throat> that they hook to their irrigation and so when that uh, float gets too low, then that little head goes off. Because you're going to lose water. water in any kind of fountain mm-hmm. that you ever have if the yeah. water's running because through splashing, through evaporation, yes, through yes. wind, like you're talking about, you're going to lose some water. And, you know, you go out there one day and your fountain is completely empty yeah. and the pump's Screaming, burned up, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, yeah, you want to keep that water level up. You and do. like you said, it's pretty cool that you can get these things afloat, like you said, to make sure that they automatically stay yeah. at the proper water level, because if you will. we have <clears throat> so many service calls and it's just the simple fact of they're not refilling the fountain quick enough and you know you just have to think extra hot extra water extra wind extra water and then there's also like uh, algicides that you can use to cut the algae down but you usually have to have a summarization where you clean it pressure wash it get everything working good and then in a couple of maybe six weeks maybe um, uh, two months it'll start getting algae again so a lot of times we'll come in and uh, clean it again, and then we go to the winterization. What about the, the wall fountains? You know, years ago it seemed like there was a big thing uh, about mm-hmm. fountains that actually mounted on a wall. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's a patio wall or whatever, because mm-hmm. people there again they liked the sound of that. You know, that that tranquil running yeah. water. You know. Uh, uh, we have there's there's a local 
man that makes copper fountains. And he made one that was eight feet long and four feet high to hang over a couch indoors. Oh, even indoors? Yeah, indoors over a couch. But you still have to Better make sure that thing's mounted just right. No, that was, we were all just, it's like over mounted (laughs) because you (laughs) don't want that thing falling and pouring (laughs) on somebody's head when you're having a garden party or something but you still had to refill it in the building too but it was such a nice (laughs) sound so you're right there's water gardens for every occasion i mean you can just get a bowl or even a tub a plastic uh clothes tub storage tub even and you could bury that in the ground or you can just get a nice like we sell the big bowls that you sit on the patio and then you can put you your need little, to balance get your it. Pump in there and yeah, yeah. You need to balance it. So you'd have your pump. You'd have a, a water lily to cover the surface, a uh, something that's tall. But like you said, but even in the simplest of terms, you can right. still have the sound of that cool, refreshing running yeah. water. Yeah, you really can. You know? So it, a lot of people don't know that it can work that easily. Audrey uh, Fielding, mm-hmm. uh, she, she sent us a text on the Mighty Nine Ninety Facebook page. Uh, Mid-South Gardening, and said, uh, Veda Girl, um, what components in soil do soil testers tell you? Well, it depends on the soil tester you get, actually, because there's a lot of different ones. The really most accurate soil test is, if you're wanting to get more than just a pH, would be sending it in to the... with the, agri- center yeah, the ag center. Well, yeah. and you're right, but when you're doing a test, you know, typically when you buy a meter, you're either mm-hmm. doing a pH meter yeah. or a moisture meter. So a pH meter is mm-hmm. what you would test uh, typically with a meter. There are homemade or home kits that you can test nitrogen, mm-hmm. phosphate, potassium, and pH. Yeah. Those are typically what people are testing. Those are the major components. The lime, whether you need to put lime down or not, that's your pH. The nitrogen, the phosphate, the potassium. Um, so, Audrey, those are the, you know, whether you go buy a home kit or whether mm-hmm. you send it off, um, you know, those are the main four. Now, yeah, they can check for, you know, the minor elements, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the, the copper, the boron, the zinc, yeah. and all that. They'll but, check on the cation yeah. exchange capacity, yeah, when you go a little more detailed. But, but the yeah. biggest thing is, is the, the nitrogen, the phosphate, the potassium, mm-hmm. and the lime. And that's true whether you send it off. Or whether you buy the little kits that you do yourself at home. Yeah. Um, so, but it, and it's good to know that because a lot of times, first of all, when it comes to pH, you really need to know what your pH is. Uh, because if you have a lawn, for example, just a, a typical Bermuda or Zoysia lawn, and you know that pH should be around six and a half, between mm-hmm. six two and six eight, six five being ideal, okay? And let's say it's at five and a half. In fact, I had I checked one guy's pH this week. It was at five. Wow, I haven't seen that. Five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where is, where was he growing? There was it his the lawn. lawn. Ooh. And I'm surprised it didn't burn uh-huh. his feet when he walked across <laughs> it barefooted. Yes. Okay, being that acidic, <laughs> because six is ten times more acidic than seven. Five is a hundred times more acidic than seven. Okay, think about it that way. Mm-hmm. And he was at five. But my point, though, is when, when it comes to pH, especially when it comes to, when, to vegetable gardens, to a lawn, whatever, you need to know what that pH is. Because, for example, in a lawn, in this case, if his pH was 5, which was highly acidic, I don't care how much he went out there and fed his lawn. It didn't do any good. You can feed your lawn all day long because that acidic soil is going to lock up all of those nutrients, okay? 
you put your lime down to raise the pH up. And in this case, he's going to have to do it more than one time. But you get that pH up to where it needs to be for that type of situation, in this case, a, a lawn, the soil can release the nutrients, Veda. Uh, so the, you, you get the benefit of the fertilizer that you're putting yeah. down. It right. doesn't lock everything up. Yeah, so, so that's the whole thing. The pH is incorrect, then the proper nutrients aren't released to the plant. That's why plants have pH needs. And, you know, if you're wanting to find out... Um, how much organic matter you have in the soil, uh, more of the minor nutrients, uh, like if you have too much phosphorus or you can go and it's not expensive, but the Agri Center can definitely test your soil and give you a really deeper detail if needed. They're, the one that you're talking about, the nitrogen, potassium, is that on a litmus paper or is there a new one now? Well, there's the, the little thing that you buy. It's like rapid test oh, yes, uh, soil yes. test kit. And you put the dirt in there mm-hmm. and it comes with the little capsules. I mean, yeah. it's pretty easy to do yourself. And you go by the color chart like mm-hmm. you're talking about. Um, and then there's a place called A&L Laboratories. Yeah. A is an apple, L is in leopard. A&L Laboratories here in Memphis, they do... Uh, test. I mean, so there's quite a few different people that would do a complete soil analysis for you. Yeah, and we'll sh- check on the break. I think there's another person. But it never too. hurts to know what you're, what you need and what you don't mm-hmm. need. And you mentioned phosphate real quick. Typically around here, our mm-hmm. phosphate levels, the middle number, are off the chart. You just don't really even have to worry about measuring that because we know that's happening. So therefore, don't add a lot of phosphate to your soil. And you know, let's go take another break. And we'll see what we can talk about in the next 45 minutes of the second hour. And then we've got a third hour. So, y'all, we've got lots of great stuff to cover. We'd love to get your comments. Uh, Post them on the Facebook Live or you can call in and tell Josh. Or you can be on air. We'd love to talk to you. 260-5926. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all can join us today. So much going on in the garden center and and uh, in the garden, and today may be a sort of decent day to go out and work. Yeah, and get a get a nice hose and a nice sprinkler. I'm telling you. And if you're going to if you're going outside and everything's real compact, your soil's hard and your water's repelling off, then start getting some compost. You can buy it in bulk. You can buy it in bag. Lay that compost across the soil. Or on top of the soil, and that'll help with the moisture retention. Like Kenneth was saying, like in containers and hanging baskets, if uh, the water's repelling off, poke holes in it and add compost or worm castings to the containers. Just a, just a nice little layer on the top of right. that. That'll and hold that moisture in. Right. The soil reach down. Even in the garden center when some things get too dry, I'm uh, and I'm watering. I poke in my thumb down in the side of the container, trying to get it open mm-hmm. a little bit so that water can reach in there. I like quicker. to get it like a little Phillips head screwdriver and just poke mm-hmm. it down, and especially in these hanging baskets that are just the roots are just massed in there. Yeah, because there again, I don't want the water just cut across the top, down who, the side, and out the bottom. I wonder who Philip was. It was a Philip head. Yeah. Philip had screwdriver. Did Mr. Philip, did he thank <laughs> you. invent that? Yeah. But, so yeah. Um, anyway, with the screwdriver or the hori hori knife yeah. or bamboo pole rebar, whatever you've got. There's improvements around. in everything, including hoses. You know, about a month ago, mm-hmm. I was talking about those zero G hoses, which is a it's a canvas hose. It's kind of like a, a small version of a firefighter's hose. Mm-hmm. You know, 
uh, it, it, it's just almost impossible to get these things to kink. Yeah. Uh, they they roll up easy. They collapse when the water's out of them. But I love the zero gravity hoses. So are y'all getting to use them at the garden center? Yeah, yeah. We do. We do both. We sell a lot of mm-hmm. them, and we, and we use them at the garden center to water the plants with. We don't use the old rubber yeah, I think vinyl gonna, hoses anymore. I think I'll go see you and get some of those. Yeah, it just. I mean, you know, as long as it's a good hose. I mean, you need mm-hmm. a good hose. Uh, and then you mentioned the water standing, uh, not only in your landscape containers but also in your in your lawn um there is a product called percolate uh that you can spray on your lawn that will make water wetter does that make sense make it percolate through the soil it does quicker? it it's yeah. uh it, it it makes these it makes the soil uh more conducive to hold moisture yeah, so really it's not making your water wetter. It's making your water more usable. Exactly. So yeah. if you're getting a lot of runoff on your lawn, uh, and that can be from a lot of different reasons, but if it's particularly if it's if your soil is so hard and so compact that the water is just not penetrating, uh, you can go out there and spray that lawn. Uh, and percolate, I believe, is was the name of is the name of the product, but it will make it more conducive for that lawn to hold moisture. Which is pretty big when we start getting into these 100-degree temperatures that yeah. we're having. So, yeah. I yeah, mean, pretty big. And we've been talking about watering all morning. You and know, you, you got you to get your watering done. This, uh, this type of weather also really shows you how your soil prep's been as well. It really does. Uh, go ahead. You look like, but, no. you're, but you're right. I mean, yeah. that, and that can go either way. Whether you prepped to create good drainage. Mm-hmm. Or whether, you know, because we, we're seeing right now where people are watering so much because of this dry heat that we're having that if you're, if, if, you, if it doesn't drain the area that you're watering the way it should, you're getting too much water down. And that can be happening because when you planted, you took all the clay out, you left this really smooth hole, dropped your plant in there, probably didn't break up, uh, break up the roots very much, and then you pushed all this great loose compost in there and you just created And it makes it cup. so much harder on you mm-hmm. to keep the plant alive. And then the flip side is if you, you know, if you really worked the, the, the soil the way you should and, and dug the hole the way you should, Veda, uh, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so easier to overwater and get away with it. Let me put it that way. True. That is, that's a good point. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of easier. times it's not the amount of water that we're putting out there. It's the mm-hmm. lack of drainage. Does yeah, that make sense? Uh, total. That, that's a good point. We never bring that up that uh, they're saying... Well, I'm not watering that much, yeah, okay, but it's, it's but not draining. Exactly. So yeah. it, it's really a combination of those two things. Um, and and we, that's why I was telling you in the first 30 minutes of the show that 95% of the problems that we saw this week at the garden center were water-related. And that typically doesn't have to mean that things were getting overwatered. Mm-hmm. It surely could just as easily mean that things aren't draining the way they should. Yeah. And then also in a lot of them, you know, things wasn't getting watered enough. Uh, but we saw so many leaves where the edges of the leaf were burned, mm-hmm. you know, and a burn can be from a lot of different things. It can be from too much water, not enough water. It can be from a fertilizer, dog urine, chemical burn, whatever. Yeah. But after talking to people, 99% of them are, were root-related, which was water-related. And when you just said dog urine, I just have to tell you, 
I was reading about how uh, back in the day, like the 1920s and 30s, all the things that women went through to look good and all that. And there was some hair dye made out of urine. No way. (laughs) I mean, they went to some painful ends to do that. Those women, I tell you what. um, And and talking about, you know, not only, you know, say boxwoods, for example, Veda. I remember I had a gentleman come in with uh, some samples of some, you know, they'll cut off a dead limb off of a boxwood. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman came in and he said, you know, what do you think's going on? And so, you you know, you have to ask the questions, of course. I mean, is the whole thing doing this? Is it just a part of this? And in this case, it was just a little section of a boxwood that was, you know, turning brown and dying on him. Um, and then so you have to go through the motions there again. You know, is it a lack of drainage? Is it was it a fertilizer burn? Was it urine that did it? Is uh, it mulched too it, high? Exactly. You, is yeah. it is it excessively you know heavily mulched in there? Uh, and it turned out it was it was still water related. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now could he have a crack or a split in that limb from last winter? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, could something a vole affect the root system up uh, down there, you know, on that one mm-hmm. side of the boxwood? Yeah, I mean, so it, it's a lot of things it could be. But like I told him, I said, when you get home, cut this little dead tissue out. You know, if it's dead, dead tissue does you no good. Clean it up, cut it out of there. I said, but be aware of all these other things as far as excessive mulch yeah. and excessive moisture uh, inadequate drainage, you know, I mean, and these fertilizers that you can burn with, mm-hmm. you know, like a triple 13 or something like that around boxwoods. I'm not saying you can't ever do it. I would never do it because it's so easy to burn these shallow rooted plants like a boxwood. Yeah. When, when it's intense like this, my, the only thing I'm using is natural fertilizer, liquid fertilizers and compost. You're not taking a chance. You're not going to yeah. burn anything up with right. a with the fertilizer trying to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And all of these are have all, all the natural liquid fertilizers have root stimulators in them too because we're trying to get the root hairs to grow better and bigger so it can take up more moisture. And that's that's what the whole thing is about the natural soil is the natural soil actually allows the root hairs to become bigger and to uh, connect with other, you know, make the soil web. And that's how it even takes more water up. Well, and that's one thing that I told this gentleman uh, on the boxwood is to clean it up, cut out the dead tissue. Make sure you're keeping this thing moist, not wet, not excessive mulch. But I said, get a root stimulator. You can feed it, you know, with some milorganite or some plant tone. But get a root stimulator, Veda, mix that thing with water and saturate that root system once a week for about a month. Because like you said, it all comes down to that good root growth down there. Uh, And so, you know, people, you can use a root stimulator on a plant that's Mm -hmm. 30 years old. True. You can use a root stimulator on a plant that's two days old. Yeah. You know, and anywhere in between. It can't do anything but help you. Mm -hmm. If you're having a lot of stress on a plant, and especially if you think it's root related, it never hurts to use a stimulant to stimulate good new root growth. You know what? It seems first time I heard you use root stimulator on a tree, you know, I'm thinking the ones that you transplanted, 15-gallon, 30-gallon. And then when you hear using a root stimulator on a large tree, you think, how could that possibly mm-hmm. help? Because you see how large the roots are. Right. But they're really, those roots are your anchors. That's what holding the tree up. So we're fertilizing when you get out farther and the roots are smaller. 
And then there's the roots off those small roots and the roots off those Mm -hmm. small roots and the root hairs are on all those roots. That's what the root stimulator is doing is help grow more root hairs to take up more moisture. And all those root hairs are damaged when we're transplanting. And so then folks say, Mm. well, why would I break my root system Mm. up? Just to damage the root hairs. Before I put them in the ground. Right. But you have to, because if you're getting them out of container, and the roots are going to be growing in circles more than likely, so you have to do that. Now, when I'm transplanting, I, you know, I cut out around the root ball, put the shovel underneath, and then I'm lifting everything up and moving it over and That's sitting. Right. And you're trying to disturb the roots as little as possible, but you still, at some point, sometimes you got to do it. you got to do it and use that... Root Stimulator. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're here with us today. I'm Veda with Palladio Garden. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And good morning to you once again, Miss Veda. It's going to be a nice, warm day. And happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Yes. You know, Kenneth and I were talking on the break. Of course, we're talking. And I said, remember the day when we first start? I think our first show was in 1997, something like that. Watch your mouth. I know. Slap me down. And... It was the, we were just learning not to spray every single thing every day. I mean, we had calendar methods back then. You sprayed it this time, you sprayed it this time, and you sprayed your entire yard. You (laughs) might have had aphids on one little area, but you sprayed your entire yard. Oh, yeah. And every, (laughs) every bug was a bad bug, literally, in, in that time frame. And then we started evolving to, um, well, let's just spray certain parts. Yeah. Yeah. You know. How about there's different things, different uh, insecticides to target it. Those beneficial insects in my landscape really do help. They really are beneficial. Yeah. And, oh, you mean there are beneficial insects? That was the other thing. And first off, everyone was trying, we would find the ladybirds. The little uh, larva, of the, not the larva, the second stage of the caterpillars. Yeah. And they don't look like a, a, not caterpillar, ladybug. Yeah. They don't look like a ladybug. You know, they look like a little. They look ugly. Yeah. They look like a multi-legged centipede, soft-bodied, <laughs> bad Colorful, bug. Yeah. But, but people it's just the bring, larva stage of a, of a ladybug. Yeah, they were bringing those in in plastic bags and, and wondering what to do. And so we were killing all these beneficials. So then we've progressed to where we're actually buying bugs, or the word is really insect. We're actually buying insects to start uh, counteracting all the bad insects. And one of our local growers, you know, David Levy from Willow Oaks, he applies the trachea gamma wasp, the green lace wings, Mm -hmm. even ladybugs, Mm -hmm. and some other things I'm not even sure of that growers will use. He actually uses those in his greenhouse now. So sometimes we'll get plants that have the little packets that had the insects on them. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, so he's went all, you know, we've went a first full circle (laughs) of just spraying everything into using target practices. Yeah, I mean, you know, the carpet bombing is what everybody used to do is that what destroy it's... everything you know when it <laughs> yeah. comes to a, an insect on your landscape but then and, and yeah and that's not the smartest move at all you know in fact i tell people you know you never ever ever spray unless you have to spray uh, and then like it's like you said while ago veda it's more targeted uh, spraying also 
you know, you mentioned just because it was April the 15th and then maybe June the 15th and then July the 15th, mm-hmm. you know, just because <laughs> it's a mark on the calendar doesn't yeah. mean that we have to go out there and spray yeah. anything. So, yeah, you want to get the right product also, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I tell you one thing, though, the good thing is a lot of the products that we're using now, Veda, uh, they're so much safer mm-hmm. uh, than the products that we used many years ago. Yeah. I mean, you know, you've heard me say permethrin many times before. Permethrin and that family of pyrethroids kind of took over the malathons and the dazanons and the isotoxins of the world, Saigons yeah. and Durasbans. <laughs> you, you know, those products are gone, okay? Uh, but these products really are, for the most part, just as good or better, but they're much more safer to use. Now, I'm not saying even if you're using a permethrin-type product to go out there and spray your whole landscape to kill, Mm -hmm. you know, one Japanese beetle. (laughs) But I still don't mind going out there and using these products as I need them. Mm -hmm. But I I only spray what I need to spray. I only spray when I need to spray, okay? So that helps so much. That makes gardening even more enjoyable (laughs) because you don't have to look and go, in two more weeks I'm going to have to drag that hose out and spray everything. But if you're spraying, you should still, uh, like if you're spraying Roundup or anything that's going to, well, anything will like move through the air, you should have uh, your boots and your jeans on so it doesn't blow back on you. If you're spraying in the air, like you're spraying a tree, that can blow back on you. So you really should have a, a mask or have stuff covered on your arms. Not not because it's going to get on you and you're just going to flop around like a fish right there. We're just trying to keep, right, we're just, there's so much in the world. I mean, even the sun, Mm -hmm. we have to wear stuff to keep the sun off of us. So wouldn't we wear stuff to kind of. Well, you want to take all the precautions, even organic products. You know, don't think that organic products can't be toxic to Mm -hmm. you. I mean, pyrethrin, P-Y, not the permethrin, but pyrethrin, which is a completely natural product. Spinosad, completely natural product. BT, all of those. Mm -hmm. You still don't want to get these products on you. They're guidelines. You still want to take all the proper measures when you're spraying anything. But I just hate that the people, a lot of people think, okay, I'm using an, a, an organic product. Uh, you know, I can spray my feet. I can walk through this mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, no, no you can't you do it that to. way. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of spraying for varmints, Miss Veda. Uh, I don't know why. It seems like, yes, carpenter ants, you know, the big black ants. uh, And I've had multiple people in the last couple of weeks come in and and talk to me about carpenter ants and what's going on, you know, and what's the problem and why why am I seeing them now, okay? If you're seeing these big black ants, Guys, that typically is a type of carpenter ant. They're so cute. Yeah. And you can see them. They're shiny. Oh, they're huge. They and just run around like happy campers. Yeah, they're, you know, eating all into any. You know, people <laughs> think that carpenter ants are really bad right. because they're boring through the wood. Uh, they don't eat wood like termites do, mm-hmm. okay? They'll burrow tunnels through already decaying moist wood. And that's the thing with carpenter ants. The, the wood that they're in has already been compromised, usually mm-hmm. with moisture, okay? So they're, they're kind of like after the fact. Now, if I've got a tree and I had a hole in the tree, in the trunk of the tree. Right, and it was rotting. And water gets in there yeah. and you start that decaying process in there, you could see a lot of carpenter ants in a situation like that, Okay. 
and people think, okay, well, I'm going to kill all these carpenter ants because there's what's killing my tree. Well, they're only in there because the wood is already decaying. They're mm-hmm. in there because the wood is already moist. Yeah. So okay? yeah. So that's what they're for. They usually that's that's what they say. You know, it could be because termites or or whatever. And so they're actually they actually clean it out. They clean the cavity out. They actually do. <laughs> but but if you if you are seeing a lot of carpenter ants uh, in you know in moist decaying wood. Uh, like I said, just keep in mind, they're not eating the wood like termites do. Termites are horrible. They'll they'll eat your house up. Carpenter ants can't do that. But now, if you wanted to get rid of carpenter ants, uh, whether you're spinning around the foundation of your house or a swing set or whatever, uh, I still like that product called Bifenfrin. Uh, it's in the permethrin family. Uh, it kills a lot of insects, but it has a good residual to it. It can last up to, you know, to a couple of months, if mm-hmm. you will. But it does a really good job on ants, Miss Veda, and it's very, very, very safe to use. But uh, I just, I, you know, carpenter ants get a bad rap, a really <laughs> bad rap, because so many people— it's more than more than one way. They do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But people think that they're doing the damage to this, you know, decaying tree or to this old wing, this, this wet uh, swing set we have in our backyard— like I said, they're only there after the fact. Yeah. Okay. Wet, decaying swing. Moist set. wood. Yeah. You know, and, and like I said, they get in there once the wood has already been compromised. So, you know, that's the other reason, too, why we should do some of the other types of cleaning up in the yard. You know, don't let things sit around that hold water. Don't let um, things sit around and compost. You know, you're, you're bringing all kinds of things into your yard that maybe you don't want just because of leave you know like weeds if you have a lot of weeds they'll actually attract like white fly <laughs> or insects you know and then they'll sit there on that weed waiting for your plants to become stressed and when your plants <clears throat> become stressed the white fly just move in yeah i mean the more you know like you just mentioned weeds that you have in your bed spade i don't care if you got a few weeds in your lawn we all do But if you've got a vegetable garden or if you've got just, you know, flower beds and you let weeds start really creeping in there, you're not doing anything about it, you are bringing in a host of insects, Mm -hmm. okay, that can vector a lot of diseases, but you're bringing in a lot of insects that typically normally wouldn't be there. So, you know, you're just giving hints out on how people can sabotage their neighbor's yard. (laughs) <laughs> Let's just add some decaying stuff over here and some pans of water over here. Well, and, and of course, also this time of year, you know, anything that holds water also holds mosquito larvae, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's just horrible to some people. Uh, you know, I'm blessed, and, and I dare say this out loud because I know what's going to happen, but mosquitoes just really don't bother me. I mean, they just mm-hmm. don't. Where other people in my family... I mean, they can hardly go outside, Veda, without getting just taken away by mosquitoes. So, you know, I've, if they did bother me like they bothered my wife, okay? Then you'd be more proactive than uh, ever. I guarantee yeah. you I would okay. be. Yeah, exactly. You know, but whether you're putting, uh, you know, BT in, the, in those standing water to kill the mosquito larva, whether you're spraying periodically with the uh, mosquito control products, the permethrins, or whether you're even putting out mosquito beater uh, a repellent, uh, you know, people do anything and everything they have to do to ha- help keep these mosquitoes out of their living space. Mm-hmm. But um, there again, I mean, if I'm spraying for mosquitoes, I'm not going out there every two weeks and spraying. 
Unless my wife tells me to, yeah, right? <laughs> right. You're like, oh, you mean two weeks have went by already? And there's a, look, a lot of good natural mosquito sprays out there to use good as well. Good Yes. So let's go to a break and then we can talk about more mosquito control or whatever just happens to come up. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're with us today. You know the spinosin that we were talking about? That's S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D. Some people say spinosad. Mm-hmm. Some people say spinosad. Yeah. I say spinosad, but it doesn't matter. Well, y'all have probably been hearing us talk about it a lot lately. And then we've always talked about it throughout, you know, the past years and all. But I did not know in the uh, summary of technology that spinosin... Uh, In 1999, won the Presidential Green Chemistry Challenge Award winner. Yeah, so... uh, Because you and and I both know it's a bacterium, Veda, that people use. I mean, it was one of those bacteriums that uh, was found like in an old rum Mm -hmm. uh, distillery in Cuba. Yeah. And they took some of this bacteria... Uh, and made an insecticide out of right. it. They synthesized and it, and, and it's a great product, very safe product. But that's one of the products that we're talking about that it does caterpillars like bagworms mm-hmm. and also kills Japanese beetles. Right. Yeah, and that's why we called it the Captain Jack's Dead Bug Brew, which now comes in a lot of other names as well. But that was, And also what I was reading about it, and it was you were making me think of it with the pH, is so spinosin is like... Not so stable in water, but it, it's good to kill mosquito larvae. So with technology, they've actually um, encapsulated the spinosin into a different types of capsule, you know, not one that we would take, but where it dis- gets disintegrates slowly in the water, which stabilizes the spinosin, which may- means that it, it's like a little tablet that you can throw in. So it's easier to store and less messy and all that. But still the big thing are the mosquito donks, the mosquito bits. And that's the BT product that are in there. You know, whether it's mosquito bit, the mosquito dunk, you know, you can throw that into water and it will kill the mosquito larva. It really mm-hmm. will. Uh, so if you've got a outdoor water feature that does, especially if the water's not moving, Veda, uh, if you have just water lilies and stuff in there, uh, it's always a good idea to throw some of those mosquito bits or some the, the mosquito plunks or the, the mosquito donuts, <laughs> yeah, any of those into the water to kill that uh, mosquito larva. But then periodically spraying with the, uh, you know, the permethrin or, or something in the permethrin family that would kill those mosquitoes. You can keep that population down to fairly acceptable levels uh, and, you know, and still get to enjoy the outdoors. Now, another thing, if, you've, if you're out there on your patio, uh, one simple thing that you can do is just get a fan. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and have a fan out there blowing. Uh, mosquitoes have a hard time attacking you with wind blowing out there. True. It, you yes. Know, instead of just steel air. Mm. So okay? it's just as simple sitting in front of a fan, right? It is. <laughs> honestly, yeah. I mean, it can be that simple. But I always tell people the more things you do, the better off you are. Uh, you know, trying to make sure that you're not having the mosquito larva hatch, like you're saying, empty any excessive moisture or any water that you don't need periodically spray in with the mosquito sprays and there's a lot of them out there on the market but like we said in the first hour if you're doing any spray in this time of year with this heat make sure everything's well watered before you spray try to spray early morning or late in the afternoon never spray during the heat of the day 
And then, like you said, get a fan out there. Mm-hmm. Now, some people go and get to the citronella candles, the yeah. citronella torches. The citronella plants. Yeah, the, the citronella plants and lemongrass, mm-hmm. uh, mints, and all this We're kind of stuff. We're just doing it for our enjoyment, well, actually. Well, and it helps. I mean, mm-hmm. anything that you can do to help. Now, <laughs> nothing is 100%. Okay. But it helps, yes, yes. So the more things you do, the, the the better off you're going to be. And like I said, hopefully you still get to enjoy the outdoors without being carried away by these dang mosquitoes. So you could have um, do your natural mosquito control, you know, spray that around. Then on your, your sitting areas, do all the plants, like the lemongrass and the fan, and, the fa- and put the fan there. And you may be able to have a partially enjoyable <laughs> sitting space. You know, I think it's a great idea because I don't have the empathy as much either because I don't get bit by mosquitoes, so I'm never thinking to put it out. That's exactly right. But then you look at your friend or or whoever, and they've got a big whelp on their arm. Oh, they've got more than one whelp. And you're like, okay, i got to come up with something for that. But um, let's go to Jamie, the Master Gardener. Good morning, Jamie, in the Mid-South Garden. Good morning. Hey, Jamie. Good morning to you, buddy. And I was, um, you know, and I was thinking about you this morning in particular when I was talking about the great tomato contest coming up on July the sixteenth. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, but while you're talking and all you're talking about the uh, the ants, I will not fall in love with an ant. <laughs> There's just no way you can make it make me happy with an ant. Well, anyway. and, and Jamie, I was talking about those dang black carpenter ants. You know those big ants that freak people out, and but they do have a bad rap because a lot of people think carpenter ants. <laughs> they, they think they're the ones actually, you know, causing the problem in the wood. Where they're in there after the fact, you know. Yeah, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying, but I'm not falling in love with it. No, I'm with just, you. Just forget about it, right? <laughs> but Jamie, while I got you though, we all know the Great Tomato Contest is coming up on July the 16th. So people need to get, you know, start getting prepared for this. Get your tomatoes ready, and we know it's at the Red Barn out there at the Agri Center. And uh, I think it's this thing starts off about drop off the tomatoes anywhere from nine to eleven that day Correct. and the judging is going to be from 12 to 3 and it's Correct. always 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 a wonderful great time i'm telling you and and like i've always said jamie to me tomatoes are they're not only are they bragging rights when it comes to the garden it's it's a it's a passion type plant it's a it's a passion <laughs> it's a fruit of love if you will okay i i can go along with that for sure uh one of the things that uh when they drop the tomatoes off for every category they want to enter in this tomato, they got to have two tomatoes. Okay. And I've got to tell you why for that. We have more judges this time to get to uh, to the finals table, which will uh, we'll have our five judges. We'll have three judges to uh, taste them and get them to pick the top two or three, and right. we'll get those to those two or three to the judges, the real judges. And these are honorable people too. These are past presidents of the uh, the Master Memphis Area Master Gardeners. And yeah. Some of the hardest working people in the world. Yep, I agree. And so they'll be the they'll do the preliminary judging to get to the head table. All right, can, let me ask. You, let me ask you then. So if I'm if I want to in, enter some of these tomatoes, you said I need for any category that I want to enter into, I need to have two tomatoes. Now, can I enter into different categories? Yes, sir. Okay, good. Okay, but no, no, you got to have two tomatoes for each category you got want it. to enter. Got it. 
Yeah. Okay, so if you don't enter in three categories, you need six tomatoes. Perfect. But I mean, but my point is, though, but I can enter a tomato or two tomatoes in each category that I want. And I don't have yes, to. Sir. All right, see, Veda? I can have cherry tomatoes. I can enter those. Okay. I can have heirloom tomatoes, so, enter those, okay. and slicing tomatoes, and enter those. Awesome. Absolutely. All right. Oh, my gosh. You just so made anyway, me want a tomato sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, what, uh, what we're trying to do is, you know, even if you eat ice cream and you tasted 91 uh, different tastes <laughs> of ice cream, <laughs> you know, they all start tasting the same before long. This so is so true. We, we've, we've, we've taken a page from the, the barbecue cooking contest, yeah. and, you know, you got to get to the head table first. Mm-hmm. And this is where the preliminary judging comes in. So anyway, Jenny, our, our great Jenny, she, she's great in everything, but she can just slice the tomato just so much <laughs> and give you a taste of it. <laughs> you know, what we're doing is usually we could have one tomato and we cut it so many different ways that we could get it. Each judge would get a fair piece of it. Oh, the way we're going, with the new way of doing it. It won't, uh, her fractions are not that good. There you go. Well, I think it's going to be a win-win for everybody, Jamie. And we're not done talking about this great tomato contest. In fact, hopefully we'll have you and Jenny and some other people from the Memphis Area Master Gardeners up here in the studio before the 16th to really get down and, and, and talk about this thing and, and really get this thing going again this year. Good deal. Well, thank you so much. I think we've decided on maybe the ninth week. Let's do it. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon, Jamie. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, man. Happy Father's Day to you. And guys, we'll be back after these messages. Give us a call, Good morning, gardeners, and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're here looking at pictures of things, trying to uh, see if we both think it's the same thing. And so far, so good. Somebody sent a picture in of a variegated leaf, um, or a, a stem. It looked like a china doll. You know, the house yeah. plant that you buy? Right. It looked like a variegated china doll. Right. And then we were like, okay, china doll, china berry. Then you found the china berry, yeah. which is... Can grow from zones seven through eleven. Right, you know, Which, further south you go, the more you see. Yeah, but and the person that sent it, I know, lives more east of here, but doesn't mean they couldn't been on vacation. So I'm waiting to find out where it's growing because it it's a big, beautiful tree, actually, the variegated china berry. But uh, I wouldn't really be trying uh, trying them reliably here in Memphis. So there was one thing we were looking at. And then, you know, it is amazing. You know why so many people ask, is this a weed or if this is a flower? Because sometimes you can't tell until it blooms. In fact, I'll send you, Veda, I'll let you read the text in my phone right now that I sent to a guy that sent me a picture. He sent me a picture of some stuff growing in a bed this week. Okay, he said, Kenny, what do you think this is? Mm-hmm. And, of course, it, it, it's... I didn't want to. I didn't want to be harsh. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I said. I mean, we're gardeners. We can't be I harsh. I said, yeah. It's. I said, it's. It, it's a wildflower. Well, no. I said it's a weed that some people call a wildflower. Oh. Okay. Because it all depends on where it's growing. You know, if it's yeah. growing where you don't want it to grow, we consider that a weed, right? 
if it's grown where you do want it to grow, then we consider that a wildflower. And it could be the same plant. But I mm-hmm. said this is a weed slash wildflower that really needs to get pulled up ASAP because this particular weed loves to propagate itself. It mm-hmm. loves to move around. So, hey, you know, ASAP, like right this yeah, minute. Like, yeah, like pull the stuff up today, you know. But, yeah, I mean, Bermuda grass in monkey grass is a weed. Think about it. True. You That's know, a good point. Bermuda grass in our lawn, it's, is it's perfectly, desirable. yes. Yeah. So it all depends on where it's growing. But, uh, yeah, in this case, this was definitely, I mean, a lot of the, a lot of weeds, which are wildflowers somewhere, mm-hmm. but a lot of weeds have a beautiful bloom on them, you know. Yeah. And a lot of times a weed can look like what we call a desirable um, so a lot of people will leave them in there until they realize that it's not really what they thought it was. Right, they're and waiting. Then, and yeah, waiting. and then but they by by then though a lot of times that thing is spread seeds, you know, all mm-hmm. through the garden or so. You know, I, I'm at the belief where if I'm not sure what the dang thing is, it's it's, it's coming it's out of the ground. Weed, yeah, you know. Well, there was a photo taken of something that mm-hmm. you're looking at, thinking well, some mm-hmm. people think it may be a phlox. But then you look at it more, and you're like, ah, I think that's really a weed. Or is it a willow tree coming up? Right. Or is it a uh, ag- agastache yeah. coming up? Or is it flocks coming right. up? I mean, a lot of things look, there, there are things out there that look very similar. Yeah. And some of them can be really hard to distinguish exactly what it is or, uh, until you actually start seeing a bloom on it. You know, yeah. if it blooms. Right. That is a disappointing thing. Or you're waiting for that wonderful garden flocks bloom and its little bitty yellow flowers from a wild flower. Exactly. Instead. And you know that's not a garden right. flocks. <laughs> but, but you know, the reason we're bringing this up, too, is pre-emergence used in beds, in my opinion, is a really good thing. Uh, and a pre-emergent is the same pre-emergence we put on a lawn, like Dimension. That's the beauty of that product. You know, it, you can use it in lawn, but you can also use it in your beds is if you have a weed slash problem or had a problem in your beds, what you want to do is get in there and, and get the bed cleaned out, whether you're pulling the weeds out manually, whether you're spot treating with something like Roundup, but you want to get the beds clean. But once the beds are clean, you can come back and put a pre-emergent in that bed, like Dimension, okay? Uh, or corn gluten meal bait is one that you've used before. But Dimension will keep the weed seed from re-germinating in these beds. And it will last for a, about three months after you put it in there. So not only do you use a pre-emergent in your lawn, you can definitely use a pre-emergent in your beds. Now, the only thing is you can't come back and put seed in that bed mm-hmm. and don't expect anything that reseeds to do that. But I think it's worth its weight in gold to help keep these beds weed-free and one way to, to help that is to use these pre-emergents in the bed. Boy, it does save on a lot of labor. It saves on mixing weed killers. Now, one thing that works really, really good is the 20% vinegar, the horticultural grade vinegar. Yeah, that's not just the vinegar on the grocery store shelf. Yeah, not your pickling vinegar. Yeah, it's just not quite as strong yeah, as 20%, 20% vinegar. don't pickle in the 20% either. <laughs> but it's you can put it in a pump-up pump up sprayer. And, you know, all those tender new little little weeds that come yeah, up. You know, up. Right. It, and they could be a couple <clears> inches tall if they're those real herbaceous tender weeds. And that way you get away with using a natural weed killer. And some, and they say, well, it's not so good to use because they come back up. Well, they're coming back up from weed seeds. 
Now, if you're trying to kill crabgrass, it is harder with that 20% vinegar to kill crabgrass. It will still kill crabgrass. Yeah, it's just it just may take a couple other applications, and it needs the sun, of course. But if you want to go with something more natural, and it is like a Roundup, it's going to kill anything it touches or damage it anyway. But probably not as detrimental as Roundup. So you use this undiluted, Veda, this 20% Mm -hmm. vinegar. You just pour it into the pump-up sprayer and go out there and just spot treat what Mm -hmm. you want to use. And then the burnout. You know, burnout is a bonide product that is completely organic. Uh, and it uh, it is a non-selective weed killer. It kills anything that it touches. So that's another organic version mm-hmm. of a non-selective weed killer. Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, the Roundup type product. But the pre-emergents really do help keep the amount of weeds that you would typically see in, in a normal garden setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, it's, I mean, um, if you're out there every day pulling weeds, you know, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you won't ever let them get ahead of you. But that's the problem. If you let these things get ahead of you, then it's a really a chore to get these beds retaken, it if really you will. Is. Well, that, that uh, stirrup hoe or shuffle hoe hmm. is a good one. These are some things that just make your gardening easier. And first, it is the pre-emergent because you've already made your gardening easier there. And a light layer of mulch. And you know, yet. mulching helps. You don't have to mulch, right. but I like a light layer of mulch out there. To help suppress a lot of these weed seeds. Yes. Um, then the other thing that's real important, well, the vinegar that you can spray because that's natural. But then I'm thinking of everything that's really important right now, and that is killing the weeds, um, keeping a mulch down to cover the soil because soil does not like to be bare at all. And it helps hold the moisture in, which we really need this time yes. of year. Um, or if your soil seems compacted or hard, add a layer of compost. Um, a layer of mulch and then a layer of pre-emergent. You put that down, that's just going to take up a, a control a lot of issues that you're going to have. It can even help with fungal issues too by um, covering up the soil to suppress the fungal store, stores. Spores. <laughs> yes, they're sores too. She's, so she's just supposed to go to a store. She's got store, store. on the mind. I want to go shopping for more gardening stuff at a store. Well, So that and then the liquid fertilizers, mm-hmm. the root stimulator, stimulators, all those you really need to have. And then, you know, you mentioned a fungus a while ago, Veda. Another thing that we're seeing, and we see a lot of this throughout the year, um, but I've seen a lot really in the last two or three weeks is the rose rosette uh, w- or witch's broom. Mm-hmm. And we've, you know, if anybody that has roses, you probably surely have heard of this before. In fact, you probably have even experienced this before. Uh, it's where you start getting that really funky mutated growth yeah. uh, on the roses, especially, you know, some of the shrub roses and uh, you get a lot of thorns on the canes. And they look like they're going to bloom, but they'll never open. Yeah, you get these 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 clusters <laughs> of blooms. Um, and they're gross and scary. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See and, how many adjectives Yeah, exactly how horrible this thing is. But Rose Rosetta, Witch's Broom, uh, is a, it, it's actually not a fungal problem. It's a viral problem. Mm-hmm. And, uh, which comes from an insect. It actually is... <laughs> comes from a wind-blown little mite that gets on there, and it uh, transmits this this virus. Uh, and I was talking to a lady the other day, and this wasn't just one rose. This was about 20 roses that she had uh, in a bed, and they were all infected with mm. rose rosette. 
Same, uh, was it all knockouts? Or it was all very, knockouts. Okay. Every one of them were. And, and that was probably part of the problem is they were just in there as a mass planning. And she's and, and don't get me wrong, it was absolutely beautiful the mm-hmm. way they were planted, but it was they were really thick in there. And, you know, the wind here comes the wind, here comes the wind blown mites, and these thick just, you know, gardens of knockout roses are like catcher's mitts. They're just catching <laughs> these mites, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh and, you know, there again, I mean, and that's what transmits the, the disease. Now any rose can get rose rosette. Uh, but like I told her, I said, look, you can go out there, you can clean all your roses up, uh, keep them cut back, cut out all this funky, def- you know, growth that you're seeing, and you can still enjoy, you know, these roses for a while. I said, but eventually, invariably, since there's absolutely no control for this virus, these things are going to have to come out of the ground. And then yeah. she said, well, how much longer, you know, can I, how, how long do I have to wait before I can replant? And I said, well, ideally two years before you can come back and replant a rose in that same area. A knockout rose or yeah. any, any rose? rose? Any rose. Uh, but but uh, like I told her, I said, if you do come back in here in a couple of years, once you get them all dug up and, and out of there and replant, I said, make sure the roses are a little more spaced out. Yeah. You know, it's those there's those mass thickets of roses, mm-hmm. Veda, that just catch these yeah. mites. Uh, like you've made this big hedge or a barrier. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I hated that for her. I really did because it was so many in there. And they've been in there for years and they looked absolutely beautiful. Now, black spot, you know, we're still seeing a lot of black spot. Black spot is not a virus. Black spot is actually a disease that you can control. So if you've got black spot on roses, uh, that's where you get the black spot and the yellow leaf and they fall off and the roses start looking horrible as far as the foliage. You know, pull all those leaves off if you can. Rake any off that are on the ground. Get them out of there and come back and start spraying with the fungicide, whether it's the mancazelle, the dacanil, the liquid systemic. Any of those are fine that have a black spot on the label. But you got to be, you, you got to get on it, though. You can't just let it go. Black spot is not just going to magically go away, okay? It stuff loves to spread around on your other roses. So be aware of rose rosette, which is witch's broom, which you can't control, and be aware of black spot on roses that you surely can control. All right, we're going to talk about more of black spot and other topics, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad y'all could be with us today. We're just looking at some more water garden fountain pictures, trying to stay cool. Yeah. If you want to give us a call, 260-5926. 260-5926. Of course, you can go to the Mighty 90, the Mighty 990 uh, Facebook page and shoot us a text there. Um, well, you know, you should add water to the garden. Bird bath even um your birds think about your birds they're going to need water now so add some water to garden like that you know if you want to be outside gardening then a pond is a great thing to do a little koi pond to a big pond to a waterfall but also don't let that water go to waste water your plants miss veda you don't have to put the water in a fountain or a bird <laughs> bath you can also put them on the roots of those plants that are dying <laughs> out there so you've got to get the water hose up guys we were talking about that in the first tower uh you've got to get out there and, and do some watering and you know you do it be smart about it you know water is needed of course keep things hydrated moist but not wet and then people say well what does that mean well it means you can really soak plants when you're watering your plants if you're doing it manually but that doesn't mean that you're soaking your plants three times a day 
right? Right. So you're just right. trying to keep things moist, but like I said, don't keep things sloppy wet. And that's I'm telling you, it's, no. it's, it's, it's crazy how who would ever think that watering could be such a chore and something so hard to to figure out. Yeah, it really is. It, it's it's hard to get people trained to water properly. Uh, you know what we've been making is some herb hanging baskets. I mean, we just did a whole hanging basket of thyme, oh, sure. different flavors of thyme. So. I mean, why haven't I been doing this longer? You put basil, you could put thyme, you can yeah. put sage, rosemary, mint. You mm-hmm. put any, whether it's a container that's sitting on your patio yeah. or whether it's a hanging basket, they don't mm-hmm. care. No, they don't. And then time trails over and winter hardy. The creeping time. And it blooms. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so, how about that red elfin time? And then there's a the creeping time, lemon time, regular time, all kinds of time. I need more time. Kind of like there one called more time. <laughs> there's one, there's not one called more time. And they're kind of like the mints. You mm-hmm. know, whether it's a spearmint, a peppermint, a chocolate mint. I mean, there's so many different mm-hmm. types of mints out there. The mojito mint. Don't yeah. forget the mojito Oh, mint. yeah. And, the, you know, the, uh, what, southern kernel, uh, Kentucky, Kentucky kernel Ken- yeah. uh, mints. You know, you got to have that for the juleps, of course. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and a lot of people grow mints in containers also, yeah. mainly just to keep them contained. There again, whether it's in a container mm-hmm. sitting on the patio or whether it's in a hanging yeah. basket, Makes no difference. And I think I'm going to go do a chocolate mint in a hanging basket. Now, Mom had mint that grew on the side of the house by the AC unit, mm-hmm. but the it wasn't. So you would think it would spread everywhere, but the fact that it wasn't in a prepared bed didn't allow it to spread everywhere. And if it did spread out some, we just mowed over it. But one of the highlights mm-hmm. was, um, like on the weekend, you know, she would make, we always made tea. She yeah. made sweet tea. But... Which one of us got to run outside and go harvest some mint yeah. and bring it back in? I mean, that was just thrilling to us. Just the simple thing is a little bit of mint well, planted outside. But you, but you got to be careful with mint because, you know, it, people love it. But it's, you know, it's one of those things where, ooh, what was I thinking mm-hmm. when I planted yeah. this, you know? Right. And uh, then if it doesn't get enough water, it gets spider mites and looks like it's variegated mint. It does. So. But, it, but it can move around. It can spread. It loves to move around. So I don't mind. Uh, you know, you're talking about growing herbs in containers, Veda, even hanging baskets. That's one that I surely don't mind growing in a container mm-hmm. uh, just to keep it confined to where you want it, right? I mean, too much yeah. of a good thing is a bad thing, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, it is, isn't it? Anything. So try something different like that with the mints. And now, way. do you use a, you know, just a regular potting soil? It's nothing mm-hmm. special. Well, it's kind of, it's really difficult because we have one that's made for containers, a potting soil for containers, which you would think would be a hanging basket. It's just a little too heavy for the hanging baskets. Mm-hmm. I mean, <clears throat> I think it's great because it holds moisture long enough, nutrients long enough. It doesn't dry out too dry. quick. Yeah, yeah. And so your soil always seems good and rich and healthy. In the hanging baskets, I want to use that soil, but it's too healthy. So actually, we have an indoor potting soil and an mm-hmm. outdoor potting soil. So I started mixing those together so the hanging basket would to be lighter. To find the perfect blend, yeah. Yeah, because hanging them on shepherd hooks and stuff like that, they're just too heavy. So a good, lightweight, well-drained mm-hmm. potting soil that actually holds a little moisture, you're yeah. fine. You're good to go. Right. So I'm, yeah, and I'm mixing the heavy weight with it, too, because sometimes the light weight's way too light, <laughs> too, and then you end up watering. I mean, I noticed that I use a indoor 
potting soil on my patio containers because I was getting to the last container. I didn't want to carry the heavy soil in, so I cheated and grabbed some of the and went. So there's obviously. Who would have thought it? I know. Who would have thought I would cheat? Obviously, in these containers with the outdoor potting soil, they're doing great. Sure. The one that's I've got the indoor potting soil, it's still doing great, but I'm watering it and watering right. it and fertilizing it more. So soil definitely makes a difference. It does make a huge difference. And don't think you can skip and put or use, you know, topsoil or garden soil as your potting soil. It's just, it's not going to work. It, 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 it's, just, it's just, it's not the right type of soil to go in a container. Now, I surely love using, you know, garden soils, even topsoils to some extent, and working it in my beds mm-hmm. to, you know, to incorporate in, in your clay soil. But you got to use a good, high-quality potting soil to go in containers. And like Veda just said, it can be kind of confusing because there's so many different potting soils on the market. Uh, it, most of them are good, okay? But if you come across a bag of a potting soil mm-hmm. uh, and it seems heavy, okay, then add a little lightweight potting yeah. soil like that to that. If you come across a bag of potting soil that seems super light, mm-hmm. then add a little bit of the heavier median to go with that. Um, you know, and yes, I mean, whether it's, um, you know, the Faffords, uh, the Fox Farm products, yeah. Veda, you've had Monrovia. Yeah, the Earth uh, mix. Right, different. Yeah. I mean, to me, those are almost the perfect blends of soils that you don't have to worry about adding anything to one way or the other. Right. Yeah, we do the Fox Farm, and the Earth Mix, and some of the Dr. Earth. They're uh, all great yeah, products. Because we have to interchange them sometimes because, as you know, there's a shortage or you can't get stuff in time. Even with our growers, um, they're not able to get the grower pots that they're needing, and sometimes that's how you're able to tell the difference in prices or the different in plants. All these in the terracotta squares are this much, and all these in the black are this much. Well, now you can't get terracotta squares, Mm-mm. you know, so um, everyone's just having a hard time. And luckily, I feel like as a whole, most people are pretty forgiving on this because i mean we're going to grocery stores and we're out and we're out of this so we're just like that's how it is but let's just keep having plants well and, we'll and we hope fine. you know with you know a lot of this started with covid of course and this, you know the supply chain was really uh disrupted uh and that was on everything whether it was hard lines whether it was plastic pots or whether it was green material yeah. bait as you know uh this year uh you know there's still some problems out there and there's still a, a backlog uh, of shortages, if you will. Now, in the gardening industry, you know, hopefully, you know, next year would be better. Yeah. Uh, we, we surely hope so. Uh, because, you know, even, like I said, from bedding plants to shrubs to trees, uh, the, I guess, what, what should I say, the selections maybe it wasn't quite as great as mm-hmm. they have been in years past. Agreed. Uh, even though they've been ordered. Right. You know, they just, that doesn't mean they came in. Or they came in kind of after the spring yeah. started. Yeah. And now we get to have all this hot weather. Gardening is always a challenge. Even for us that garden all the time in garden centers every day, well, there's some huge But I challenge. still think, you know, you're talking about the potting soils. I still think it all starts with the soil. Whether you're preparing the soil outdoors when you're planting or whether you're planting in a container. Like I said, it, it, it all starts with that soil. And I made the comment, you know, not using topsoils and potting soils for a, um, or garden soils for a potting soil. Well, the same thing. You don't necessarily need to use a potting soil in the ground outside. Right. That just doesn't work either as well. 
Okay, y'all, we're running to a break. We'll see you in a few. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. It looks like it may be an okay gardening day today, so go ahead and start. I know you want to drink all that coffee first, but add some water in because you're going to need that water. And, you know, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there this weekend. It's going to be a hot day. If you look at the forecast, we talked about this. I mean, I saw 100 degrees like for the next six days. I keep looking like it's going to change, like they're going to say, oh, wait wrong and forecast yeah, and, and you know but there again being hot we've gone through hot weather before Vegas. it's nothing mm-hmm. that we haven't done not before in June. yeah i know but my point is you, <laughs> you just don't get ready to water and if you're going out of town make sure you've got somebody watering for you yeah uh, or you've you've got to prepare if you know or you got to make sure that everything is getting some type of moisture while you're gone well, you know, last weekend we were talking about, we said, go ahead and start getting your timers out, your water hoses right. out, your um, water heads and all of that to make sure that they're working. There's no holes and your batteries are ready for your timers or whatever, <laughs> because you're going to, all of a sudden it's going to be frying hot outside and you're going to try to make that all happen, which is so frustrating and makes you wonder why you're gardening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you still got a little time to get pre-prepared. No, oh, I'm telling you. And I got to say this real quick. We were talking about the Great Tomato Contest earlier. Mm-hmm. Um and a lot of people are already getting green tomatoes on their tomato plants. In fact, they're already getting them, you know. And one of the old myths was, you know, you can um, pull a green tomato and you got to put it on the windowsill oh, yeah. to let it turn red. Yeah. Well, that's absolutely completely <laughs> false, okay? Uh, because, I mean, to this day, you still hear and see a lot of people doing that. It doesn't hurt to do it. You know, you know how this is how that got started. How did it? Well, because then I'm going to tell you the, the best way to do it to get them to turn red. Well, I'm sure like uh, Grandma went out in the garden and she picked some, uh, some of the green tomatoes had, the vine was getting to the end. She saw tomato hornworms or whatever. So she took the green tomatoes, put on the windowsill. Then the granddaughter comes in that talks endlessly. <laughs> And was asking, why are the green tomatoes on the windowsill? And she, she's just like, I'm just waiting for them to get right. Yeah. So then that just keeps growing to growing yeah. and growing. I said, my grandmother put them on the windowsill to get right. Yeah, was, that sounds like happened in your family. Right, right. So it wasn't that they, she was putting them there to get right. Ripe, she was just putting in there waiting because that'd fall off the vine or something exactly. like that. So this is how these little wide You're stales exactly start. You're exactly right, Veda. But, uh, but sunlight is not actually needed for these green tomatoes to turn red. In fact, the best place is a cool room. Uh, and also wrap them in newspaper. And people think, oh, why do you want to wrap them in newspaper? Because, you know, they give off the, uh, the eth- ethylene gas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you wrap them... Yeah. That kind of encapsulated encapsulates that ethylene gas, and that's what makes them actually ripen faster. Okay. So, you so know, yeah, let's take a tomato, wrap it in the wrap newspaper. Wrap it in newspaper. Not plastic, newspaper, something that breathes. Yeah. And then, ideally, a cool, dry room. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be on the, the windowsill. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not mm-hmm. saying you can't do it. I'm just saying a lot of people that would be pulling a lot of these green tomatoes off Wrap them in that little newspaper and put them in a cool room. They don't have to have any sunlight whatsoever to turn red, okay? And they'll <laughs> do great. just 
fine. I'm telling you. Well, we fixed that myth. Yeah. That, that makes me think of, I'm all, it's funny how things make me think of something that's not even the same topic, but you know where we're going through the, you don't have to put a lot of gravel in the bottom of your flower pot. And you like better not. And you shouldn't. And because the way it holds the water or whatever, which I'm still like uh, not totally believing that. Oh, no. But I want to put it. it on, you know, I want to put it in a glass and watch the experiment that way. Because it still doesn't make sense to me. But I wish there was a glass flower pot and then i started you could thinking see. yeah but Can wouldn't I, that be pretty a glass flower pot actually because you could see the roots why, why how can we don't see clear that's what i'm saying because i mean you could put it in a clear bowl but there's no drainage hole so how cool would that I be know though it. man i shouldn't have said that out loud because i was actually because you know as about, kids you know we like always wanted to see the ant uh, mm-hmm. farm yeah you know so you could get this little almost an aquarium type container mm-hmm. yeah and put your soil in there and, and then you know the ants and you can uh-huh. see their tunnels remember all that yes we, well yes. i mean why not have clear flower clear pot. pots flower uh-huh. pots because we have the terrariums and you know, we like to watch the different layers and stuff i so. think next year somebody's listening we'll start seeing clear clear flower no, pots no and we and then what's amazing about technology is you were talking about the little ant farms that we had in boxes and we would look at them you could see them yeah now you can just get on the internet oh, yeah. and and look at how they're actually living in their environment and you could even put those what are those glasses on the, yeah. the virtual reality yeah. glasses and and be in an ant farm yeah Yep. Craziness. So, yeah. So, but I don't think virtual gardening would be very fun. No, it wouldn't. It's all about the feel and the taste and the smell. It wouldn't be as hot. (laughs) That's the thing. I told you, uh, I went to my friend's house. This is a couple years ago. And he had a Ziploc bag. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just just get a a clear Ziploc bag. And you get a copper penny, a penny. Yeah. And you drop it into the Ziploc bag. Okay. And then you add water. You fill this Ziploc bag up with water. Yeah. Okay. And then you zip it up. And you see it by people's doorbells. All right. So, no. So, what you have is a Ziploc bag full of water with a penny in it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, you turn the the Ziploc bag to where instead of looking like a square, uh-huh. it looks like a diamond. Okay? okay. Gotcha. And you hang that above your back door or you hang it on the umbrella on your patio. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why in the heck would anybody do that? <laughs> <laughs> My friend swears up and down that it helps repel flies or other flying uh-huh. type insects. I'm like, how, how could possibly mm-hmm. could a Ziploc bag full of water with a penny in it and you've got it hanging up like a, you know, this, the shape of a diamond, okay? Uh, is that it to an insect? It looks like a hornet's nest, and the okay. penny in the bottom uh-huh. looks like the the hole in the bottom of the hornet's nest. And he swears up and down. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never tried this. Yeah. I will one day. <laughs> that it will flat out keep insects, a lot of insects, including flies, uh, away from your patio. That's so easy to try, and I never do either. We have to try it. We have to. Somebody's tried it out there. I've seen them before hanging around and thought, whoa, this was a while back. And I was like, why? Why would you? But I never asked why anybody did it until. I mean, it's definitely going to be an optical illusion to some of these insects. Gosh, Um, and that's a whole nother ballgame, an optical illusion. What you perceive. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're going to have to see if that is that a myth. 
or is that for real, Veda? So, I'm, I mean... But your friend's done it forever, and apparently he's not going to keep doing it if it doesn't work. I wouldn't think so. Surely, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm have to try this this out. And of course, now you know we're talking out there. If you if you're on the patio, you know, having a fan moving, you know, wind mm-hmm. around is really a good thing. And you can have sprays, you know, to help keep the insect population down and repellents. But I'm really going to try that out because I'm curious to see if that's going to help keep the insect population the flying insect population down i think that's going to be a great experience i know people have done that before and, and can i say this real quick veda mm-hmm. yeah and i know we got just a minute but it's kind of like putting the the molded owl out there or the snake out there to repel mm-hmm. okay they work anyway i know they do work and you do have to move them around and stuff all right, let's go. Hey, Tim. Tim what Van you Horn. What you doing out there today? That's life because I'm in air conditioning down at the Lander Center for the American Freedom Tour. There are going to be a whole host mm-hmm. of speakers, including President Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. will be here today, Don Jr., uh, Candace Owens, and so many more. Come on down. We have we have a table outside Section 107 and 108. Come see us today. We'd love to shake your hand. It's going to be a great day at Lander Center. And, and also, you'll have a chance to sign up for a $100 gift card, courtesy of the Mighty 990. And then also, we're out at the Millington Air Show uh, today as well. Go see the big KWAM tent out there. You'll have a chance to register. But we are at the Lander Center, and we will be here all afternoon. We are waiting to see Donald Trump. Come on down and see us. It's Tim Van Horn, and we are out and about with the Mighty 990. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you can join us today. Had wonderful show, three hours worth, but y'all can listen to us on podcasts. You can stream us online, uh, kwamradio.com also. And let's go to Billy. Thanks for the call this morning. You're in the garden. Hey, y'all. I, I really enjoy your show. I, <laughs> Never really ever never call, but I listen every week. Yeah, um, thanks, Billy. Sure. I just wanted to confirm the penny in the bag of water hanging uh, mm-hmm. does work. Yay! See, there you go. Billy's done it. <laughs> Thank He's you, heard Billy. about it. <laughs> Was my uh, my wife found that idea from somewhere uh, some years ago, and uh, we keep one up, and it. And it works. That is unbelievable because, Billy, I promise you, the first time I walked in his backyard, uh, he's my, my dear friend. I've known him all my life. And I saw this thing hanging above the door. And I'm thinking, what in the heck? <laughs> first, I thought it was a joke and he was going to drop it on somebody's head. And he looked and I asked him, I said, what the heck is that thing above your door? And he said, you know, he showed me what it was and explained it to me. And I'm thinking, there's no way in this world this thing is going to work. No way. You know? And it is. Yeah. Well, Billy, thanks well, for letting us know. Sure, the uh, and exactly what <clears throat> Kenneth said is what we heard is that it looks like a hornet's nest. Yes, yes, insects. yeah. I mean, and, that's uh, crazy, Billy. And I'm like you, I don't care what it is, if it works, that's all I care about, you know. Yeah, well, it, it, it does work. Uh, anyway, I just wanted to call and confirm. Thank all right, you brother. so much, Billy. Appreciate that. Thanks, Billy. Have a good weekend, man. Yeah, I was wondering if somebody else had had experience with that. I knew they would have had to. But it, it's just the, and of course, Mark had to hear it from somewhere. Yeah. You know, so it's probably. So what about, you know, I was thinking, I don't know if I can get a glad bag and a penny together at the same time. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where. No. <laughs> it just seems like things like that happen. But okay, so why don't we put a penny in glad bag and sell them? Why? And, and, it, and the water's free. Right. So there you go. But I you, mean, is that what, are we going to be having like um, in garden centers now all these natural types of things? Well, it's like, like I said, you know, you can already buy the molded owl. You know, and that you can snake. sit out there for the squirrels. You can get the snake. Yeah. You know, you can get a lot of times, you know, remember we used to have these things you could stick to the window. Like if you had a big window, oh, like yeah. in your kitchen, you put mm-hmm. these big glowing <laughs> yellow eyeballs up there. <laughs> I don't remember Look like those. cat eyes. They did look <laughs> like a little cat eye to keep birds from running into the window. Oh. I mean, so there, there are illusions out there. Mm-hmm. And if, if this illusion of the penny in the, you know, the, the Ziploc bag with water works, Man, I'm all for it. Me too. And Billy said it works, so there you go. I wonder, so I wonder if it would repel the wasps too. I think so, because, you know, like hornet's nest. Yeah, because there's those fake hornet's nests that you can hang to repel wasps. And, of course, I'm going to try it now after the wasps are there. Yeah, and next week, I'm going to write some stuff down about wasps for next week's show. I almost Mm -hmm. did it this week, uh, because a lot of people... You know, I think there's a misnomer that they're all bad, even mm-hmm. yellow jackets to some extent. I mean, they, they, they serve a purpose, and we'll talk about this next week. That's but also, too crazy. I was reading about the wasp, too. It's I crazy. But yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things, real quick, and I know we only got a minute, is to be on the lookout for is, and I think it hadn't been quite as bad this year. Uh, I don't know why, because we had such a wet early part of the year mm-hmm. you know it started raining back in november if you remember <laughs> yeah it didn't stop until mid-april we had a very wet May. wet wet spring yeah early on very yes, wet we I mean, it rained every day it and seemed even like up in may yeah and we were cold and cool and rainy in may yeah, so, exactly yeah but uh you know the the spawning on the hydrangea leaves mm-hmm. the, the whether it's the uh the bacterial spot or whether it's a fungal spot uh they both can get on there uh and th- the good thing is most of the spotting on the hydrangea leaves is, I, I dare say, superficial, okay? Because you don't want it. But typically, it doesn't kill the hydrangea, is my point. It can surely make them look horrible, and you'll get a lot of premature defoliation uh, with these leaf spots on the on the hydrangea. But my point is, if you're starting to see uh, some of this spotting uh, on the hydrangeas, same thing early, early morning or late, late in the afternoon, not during the heat of the day, uh, and make sure they're well watered before you spray anything on them. Uh, there's some liquid copper that you can spray on there uh, and, or, or Dacanil. Either one of those two products will help eliminate a lot of that because it can surely make some of the best-looking hydrangeas look pretty dang yeah. bad. It really can. And like you said, it, it's usually just superficial. And you're doing a lot of foliar sprays, like with organic products that have the microorganisms and all of that, will help, um, will benefit in keeping the plant more resistant to all those problems. So a lot of times you can have it, but it won't kill the plant off because the plant's still strong enough to resist it. And all of these things are just landing on the leaf and going into the stomatas on the foliage. And if you use natural fertilizers that have that in there and you spray your foliage, then they can uh, enter the same place the fungus is and, and put good fungus in to battle the bad fungus. So there's ways to repel 
problems like that too, as well as the same thing, the this uh, soil and the fertilization and the air movement mm-hmm. and the light situation. You're not kidding. I mean, hydrangeas that get good air circulation, hydrangeas that actually get a good, you know some some good mottled morning sun. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the old um, mop heads. And also hydrangeas that are not getting overhead irrigation every day on that foliage. You know, yeah. uh, if, 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 they're, if they're in a lot of deep shade and they get overhead irrigation and they're pretty crowded, forget it. You know, you're going to get leaf spot every year. Man, we have got some <laughs> great hydrangeas at the nursery. Um, and the one I'm liking is that variegated one that has the uh, green leaves with white around <clears throat> it. And now, is that the old mop head? The, yeah, the it shade, is a mop The head. shade tolerant yes. hydrangea. Yes, yes. And it is the variegated look. And it's almost mm-hmm. like it blooms nicely and all, mm-hmm. but the variegated foliage seems to add some different look to your shade garden, too. So it's really pretty even if it doesn't bloom. Yeah, and most hydrangeas are doing really well. I'm talking about, the, mm-hmm. there again, the shade variety, the old pinks and blues. Uh, because they, they really love that sustained chill that we had um, back in the winter. I mean, hydrangeas like that. Now, depending on where they were in the landscape, uh, there were some that, you know, the tissue was actually damaged by that really cold weather. So you didn't mm-hmm. see as much bloom uh, on some of them that were really exposed, Veda. But for the most part, hydrangeas are doing really well. And now the really the best is yet to come, too, because the sun-loving hydrangeas, yeah. The limelights and the little limes and the bobos and the vanilla strawberries and yeah. on down the phantoms, all those, they hadn't even started blooming yet. Yes, they're about to bust out. The ones that I have in the full sun on the west side, you're just seeing them getting green and lush, green and lush. Yeah. But then when you look real close, you see the buds. Little bitty brackets starting to, yeah. t- start to form. But they're going to bloom, you know, most of the summer mm-hmm. for us. And I, and I, love, those, I, I love those type of hydrangeas. A, because they're easy to grow. B is because they can take a lot of sun. C is because they'll bloom off the same year's growth, Mm kind of like a crepe myrtle. If you go in there and cut them back by mistake in early March, whoops, so what? They're still (laughs) going to bloom for you. Yeah, there's so many varieties of hydrangeas out there, like the oak leaf. Big, huge, beautiful leaves. Love they're, them. they're like a native, aren't they? A native. I mean, not our. You hybrids, get in Middle Tennessee around Pickwick, you see nothing but oak leaf yeah. hydrangeas growing on the side of the road. Okay. Gosh, just amazing. And, Veda, and you mentioned the high, the variegated hydrangea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, variegation always looks good in the shade. Okay. True. Yeah. But I've also seen. You know, we're always talking about. Let's say the color yellow, for example. Okay. You know, there's always been like, uh, what was it, Florida Sunshine Elysium. Yeah. Okay? Well, a lot of people would see that and think, my God, this thing is anemic. You know, Right. It, <laughs> but I'm looking, you know, whether I'm looking through catalogs or even online, looking at some of these shrubs, uh, yellow is the new color. Really I'm just is. telling you it I is. I think we're calling it chartreuse. It, well, well, that's maybe another so. one. The yellow is a color, and then the chartreuse is the other. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but I'm seeing more and more and more plants mm-hmm. that are, that had the the yellow color. I mean, that's what they are. Whether it's an arbovita, remember that little forever goldie arbovita? Yeah. Uh, and then even a ligustrum, sunshine ligustrum. Yeah. Uh, is is yellow that foliage. one still makes me think it has iron deficiency <laughs> that is that's my whole point that's why i'm bringing this up a lot of times you know that's what we always associated 
Mm-hmm. A yellow yeah. plant with, and I don't know if I can get over that or not. I know. Did I tell you about the time that uh, first garden center I worked at was in Colleen, Texas, and there were San Jose junipers, but they were the variegated San Jose junipers, so they had little yellow tips all over them. They were new, <laughs> and so you know I'd been there a couple of weeks, and you know I was I'd worked in the uh, yard with my dad mostly cleaning and stuff like that not not the gardening kind just working in the woods kind so I knew about pruning and things that shouldn't so I thought man I'm going to go prune all these yellow things off these junipers <laughs> because I mean who's going to buy something with yellow so but, I got but my, why do we do that why I, do we associate you know that color yellow yeah. with an anemic know. plant you know yeah because I mean I'm like well yellow on green then yellow means dead so I pruned them all off, and I got my balls. I'm like, look what I did. And, and they is, went, you just pruned the uniqueness yeah, out of the plant. Yeah. Go get back. that shovel, girl. It grew back, and obviously you can tell I've still in the business. No doubt. We will see y'all next weekend. Please drink your water and have faith that we'll have a little cool spell later. See you next weekend in the garden.